Hey everyone, at the top of the recording I forgot to mention this, and I mentioned it like at the end of the recording, and I realized it's more useful to say at the top of the recording, but TJ's not on with us for this episode. Uh, he had what one would call, as I called it later on, a series of days, all proper nouns, and just needed the rest when our uh, planned recording had swung around. So TJ will be back with us in episode 596, which is the episode after 595, which is what you are about to hear. I've actually been doing that every now and then. Uh, in the last three days, I've noticed I've broken out in spontaneous laughter uh, four times. Just, Which is very healing. Is is this what isolation's doing to you? You just sit there and start going crazy. Oh, I mean, my mom and I both uh, have talked to each other since ages ago about how we've both become very comfortable with talking to both ourselves and inanimate objects in our living spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I find quite helpful because also it means that I'm not like mute for days at a time, which uh, can kind of screw with your throat a little bit. I can't imagine you being mute for hours at a time. Oh, let constantly. Alone days. Constantly. But now now I've broken through that barrier and I'm just wandering around doing character voices, um, referencing very old in-jokes that I find very funny and the people who found them funny are not actually here right now uh, anywhere near me. So I start imagining their reactions and then I start laughing more. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, what else is a good time? Podcasting. Aaron, welcome to WTF and TFW. Hey, thanks. It's episode 595, which used to be, when I was a very little kid, one of the first phone numbers I ever learned started with 595. Is that the area code or the uh, local? The local. This is before we needed to put area codes in. Okay. This is OG well, phones. You'd have to put area codes in if you're, like, calling long distance. I didn't comprehend that uh, when in, I was a Unless kid. you, like called up a, a lady that was an operator and he asked her to connect you to Klondike 53917. Well, I noticed there was a changeover at some point in the, the aughts where area codes went from never really being mentioned unless you were, like, you know, passing them out for long-distance calling to, like, even locally people give out the area codes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all cell phones because you never had, like, you, you'd never called somebody long distance because that was like that 10 10 3 2 1 or whatever in the u.s where there were other long distance companies that would like oh if you call our number first it's only nine cents a minute or whatever and then everybody got cell phones and it very rapidly became why would you have a like long distance as a concept went away because you could have your cell phone anywhere I, I also had the unique childhood of, like, occasionally we would just be, like, landline calling Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd do it. took me a little bit to comprehend as well. It wouldn't be very long phone calls, but uh, we even briefly didn't have a rotary. We didn't have a rotary, I don't think. We had, like, an old rotary that wasn't plugged in, but we did have one of the, the ones where uh, when you push the buttons, instead of dial tone noises, you got the, like, the, the tickety-tick noises. Yeah. Um. Anyway... Dating my telephone usage, don't have time for that. We got news. We got news to talk about. Transform. We got live action Transformers movie news. 
which no longer makes me wince when I say it, I'll admit. Uh, but we've got the name of the next live-action Transformers movie film director. Some news movie news site uh, had a tweet go up about this where, boy, they bent over backwards trying to figure out how to make this like a first. Uh, and yeah. their tweet was like, the first director who isn't Michael Bay, if you exclude the spin-off Bumblebee movie. And I was like, right, so if you exclude the first director who wasn't Michael Bay, yeah. this is totally the first director who wasn't Michael Bay. Uh, but uh, the next director is Stephen Capel Jr., uh, who I believe directed Creed Two, which I, I haven't seen. Um but uh, the other thing about this that's very relevant to say is it sounds like, as I understand it, because they had two scripts in development, an animated feature and a Bumblebee movie sequel. And it sounds like the Bumblebee movie sequel is the script that's going forward first with this director. So uh, that that's kind of exciting to me because that tells me that they would like to proceed with something that matches the tone of that movie to some degree. And I would like mm-hmm. that. Um, my only real other question is just like, does this guy like robots? And we're not going to know till there's like trailers and stuff yeah hopefully he'll write a letter to the fandom the way that uh that travis knight did or to whoever it was about how bumblebee and gi joes or whatever were his touch tone a uh, travis knight uh, very much childhood. like it even carried through to the film travis knight had a very uh capitalized genuine uh, set of mm-hmm. feelings about that era to to the point of being off-putting to some folks. I I could see, I, even though I'm kind of like, come on, have a heart. But I could see it. Like it was a very saccharine, like right down to that letter. At, at, at the same time, though, we're starting to get into like the the time frame where people that are directing and moving around. I'm going to look up what uh, Mr. Capel's age is. He was born in '88, so I feel old. And he's definitely grown up in a time frame where Transformers is just a thing versus you, you, you know, may well have had other people, other directors along the way where Transformers is this franchise that I'm making a movie about versus, you know, maybe something to him where, you know, closer to the age at least where Transformers is a thing that he grew up with and knew. So I should also pop like, in there. I would look at it different ways. I, uh, I mixed it up. It, the other film was the Beast Wars script, not the animated feature. The animated feature was something different. That was like that thing that might be on Cybertron if they ever make it. I, right. I mixed that bit up. But uh, yeah, I mean, 88, it's still born in the 80s. So he would have he would have been, uh, you know, a child through G2 and Beast Wars, sort of similar to how I was. Right. And, and yeah, like, I think there's a good chance that he thinks robots are cool, but uh, I, I can never really like assume that. And nor, nor I should say, nor do I ever really want to like judge that. You know, as far as a person, like people can think robots are not cool and still be good people. But when it, right. when it comes to directing this film, I'm, I just hope that he thinks robots are cool because otherwise, it, it there's a lot of other. There's, there's two primary ways that I think it could go badly if someone directs this and doesn't think robots are cool, which is A, this is a stepping stone and the film will feel like it, or B, oh boy, I'm going to remake the whole concept of what this whole thing is, because robots, I'm going to make this better than robots being cool, and that won't happen. Uh, so, I, got, I mean, I got a good feeling that the, probably this guy thinks robots are cool, or at least he'll put on yeah. a, good, a good show of it. And uh, That, and I think that Hasbro still has enough um, weight in the thing that if he was like, okay, we're going GoBots, 
and it's all going to be GoBody, and it's going to be on GoBatron, and it's everything's going to be like GoBots. I'm, I was trying to think of some other way to make it dumb, but whatever. <laughs> like, I think Hasbro would be like, "Hold on, someone doesn't like GoBots Just over here." Holy moly! Roll this back. That first off, that's not Transformers. Yes, it's a license we own. You can reference it potentially, maybe if there's a good way to do it, but. Um, yeah, no. Kenner's not. GoBots. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is, I, I have not seen Creed 2. I've seen some folks, you know, speak well of it, some folks not speak well of it. But the thing about Creed 2, everything I know about it is, I'm not sure how to super duper draw a parallel between that film and what a Transformers film would be. Um, and, and this is the thing I've talked about with the Bumblebee movie off and on on, on social media and stuff. Like, there's a, there's a very, like, specific it factor when a film about robots like that, like, actually really connects with me. Bumblebee has, mm-hmm. has, has hit that. The original Pacific Rim in its action sequences definitely has hit that. Uh, and it's the feeling that, that, I mean, with Transformers, it's really easy, uh, to describe. It's that the, the robots felt like characters and not like set pieces. And mm-hmm. I, I that's that's really all I want to see out of this, and I don't think there's remotely any way to to watch Creed two, for me at least, and then like try to extrapolate from that. Like, well, how will he treat Transformers? Because like Creed two is about human boxers, so there certainly is going to be directorial vision that can carry through. There's going to be nuances and subtleties, and you know decisions of pacing, etc. But really specifically for a Transformers project. I need to know whether or not I'm going to be seeing robots as characters, and I I truly don't think I could really extrapolate that from Creed 2. Um, plenty of other things to extrapolate, but not that, necessarily. Um, Aaron, have you seen Creed 2 before I keep talking out of my butt? I know I have, but it was in like a movie binge watched long enough ago that I remember it was a, the second Creed movie. Yeah, and as far as I understand, it's like... It's not terrible, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't know. Like I think I think the main thing I've heard from multiple people is like, well, it wasn't as good as Creed One, but I watched it and I didn't hate it. And it's like that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's that doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, even and even if that's the story of this Bumblebee movie, if it's like, well, it wasn't as good as the first one, but I still had fun. Then I'm like, hey, you know what? That's still a step up from what we had for a decade. So mm-hmm. that, for sure. You know? <laughs> But uh, well, hopefully we'll see a trailer or something about this. Um, I guess in a year, maybe, because it's set to release summer twenty twenty two. So maybe mm-hmm. uh, fall winter in a year from now ish might see some stuff. Uh, until then, we got plenty of toys to talk about. Uh, so a bunch of a bunch of news sites and 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 major fan sites got sent Kingdom Wave One to unbox and uh, photograph and review and etc. And within 24 hours, uh, Kingdom Wave Two was unofficially leaked by Safety Korea. Dot Kr. Yeah. Um, who uh, appear to have also scooped the... I mean, this is... I, I mentioned this in a podcast before. I've been kind of distant from this whole thing. Apparently, they are, they are now actively scooping Tauntaun. And that's a whole thing, apparently. But uh, all that really matters to us is, like... Number one, the Kingdom Wave 1 stuff. I don't have tons to say because since it's going to probably be out in a month, I didn't really look at much of the coverage because I'm planning I've, to just get it. I've not seen Earthrise Wave 2, but for one toy. I'm uh, sorry. What's Earthrise? <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this doesn't help you, like, but like, 
Like Wave Two showed up at all these grocery stores, and I've been trying to figure out a reason to to break my my weekly grocery store visits to go to the Aldi's across town that I never go to, just to be like, hey, you got any of those toys? It sounds like Wave Three has only really just shown up in the last month or so in like mass um, sightings, and even then, it's like mm-hmm. been the UK and here. And in a bit, in a, so on the bright side, at least it's like even if you have to play catch up, it's only a handful of figures, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Kingdom Wave One, um, Aaron, did you want to say anything else about it? Like myself, I just like it. You know, like I said, it's out in a month or two, and I got a pre-order in on the stuff I yeah, want. Yeah, it's 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 out in a month or two, and I should probably get pre-orders in. I mean, I only have a pre-order in because EB Games put up a bunch, and you know edge card stuff and etc i'm i already kind of like thinking like i did i need to pre-order a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> but it would be fun because i haven't bought a ton of transformers this year uh in person and every now and then online so like if i if i can get me like a whole chunk of a wave that'll be a nice endorphin rush anyway a bunch of wave two um started off with a potato shot of four deluxes and has turned into packaging shots of just the front of packaged toys that look very much like official packaging shots as far as the white background. It makes me really curious, like, where this connection is from. Um, at least, like, right now. I probably will lose interest after we finish recording. Um, but in that deluxe wave, we got uh, the big the big re- re- reveals that we hadn't heard about, or I should say that we hadn't seen evidence of it had all been heard about, uh, if I recall correctly, is a deluxe air razor and huffer. Uh, huffer looks hell of like huffer. I notified Seth Buzzard immediately. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, air razor uh, is one of the ones where we got a slightly closer look of the packaging. Um, and it looks like much like the RC reissue from Earthrise that's in that deluxe wave. This kind of bugs me, and it's not justifiable how much it bugs me. It's very petty. I'm really not into how they're using the packaging backdrop to pocket-hide backpacks on RC and apparently Air Razor. really looks like Air Razor has something hidden back there, and some of the insider types who just, like, describe toys, as far as someone told me, they describe that there's quite a wing pack in there. Uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just, for some reason, really bothers me, like, seeing that square window in the cardboard. Um, it's, it's like, Air Razor has wings. Yeah. I mean, well, the toy always did. I'm trying to remember. No, her model got, like, little, like, cherub wings when she was a robot, didn't she? Or yeah. She still had them, but it was, like, the last, like, the last finger of a wing rather than Well, you can see on the packaging art, though. Like, her artwork has... Wing has like bot mode wings basically yeah so in that case like especially in that case because the packaging art shows these big wings i'm kind of like why did you hide it it might just be like logistics you know yeah protects them better um also rc's in wave two and i don't think that was necessary uh if that's just earthrise rc but i might be i might be just jumping to conclusions as to how many people are trying to pick up earthrise rc um but uh, yeah, other than that, it's uh, it's Huffer and and also the one whose name I always forget. That fossilizer. Anyway, you all know who it is. <laughs> fossilizer Ted, the deluxe fossilizer with the triceratops shoulder. Um, so that was that was the opening reveals, quote unquote reveals, completely unofficial, borderline, possibly illegal reveals. Uh, Aaron, Air Razor, and Huffer. Uh, are they are they from what you can see at least? Are you are you starting to feel like ooh? 
But I, I mean, yeah, I think all of the at least. I mean, have we seen non-show Beast Warsy stuff other than the fossilizers? Uh, no, like I not think that I'm aware of. I think, I think all of those are going to end up being get so far of what I've seen. I mean, yeah, I Huffer is that a deluxe or the that's a deluxe size? That's a deluxe. Yeah, end up, yeah. I'll probably end up going for Huffer. Um, yeah, I mean, these all look pretty solid. Is Ultra Magnus just a reprint? Uh, yeah, so I, I was going to ask you about that. Shortly afterwards, okay. we had these packaging things show up of uh, Voyagers and Leaders. The Voyagers are Dinobot, mm-hmm. uh, Inferno, and then the Leader, I'm assuming it's the Leader, is Ultra Magnus. Now that Magnus, I, 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 I could have gone and checked and I just didn't. I don't know if that's just a reissue Magnus. <sighs> that, that little bit of side of the leg on the front box art shot looks a whole lot like that same leg dumped in the kludgy backpack thing. Same as the side of the white truck cab having that yeah. that hingy thing on it. So it yeah. might be. <clears throat> hey, I'm I, I'm free. I'm free of a release. That's a, that's two liters you're free from because Earthrise Optimus is in wave one. Oh yeah. So hey. 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 Hey, there we go. <laughs> Weird thing to celebrate, but I'm kinda kinda with you. Uh just go ahead and order a whole wave set on Big Bad with that money I'm making up on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that Magnus I don't know a whole ton about, and I'm not sure if there's more that has been revealed in threads and through insiders and etc. Um, the Inferno looks very much like he is the very expected retool of Grapple. Mm-hmm. Um, I still haven't messed with Grapple. I still haven't picked up Grapple or Hoist, and I kind of want to. And now they're on sale on Amazon Canada, but they're not enough on sale. And I'm kind of holding out since they're Wave 1. Maybe they'll go more on sale. Uh but yeah, uh, also his like the, the new thing with Kingdom is there's also less window, so it's very difficult to tell how much is different with him other than the winglets behind his head, because uh, the rest of that is just packaging art, which isn't. I'm not against it. I like I like the packaging art, uh, but there's something odd about how little window there is on these, um, which is a real bummer when talking about Dinobot because the bit of him we can see looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Wish I could see more, <laughs> but the bit of him we can see looks pretty good. Uh, and hey, Dinobots in this. Uh, I forgot if that was a known factor or not, but it made me say, "Oh, hey, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to try to pick him up unless something looks looks horrifically off." And they got his his torso, and they got his shoulders and his head, and that's like a percentage of his body that's already looking correct. So I'm down with that. Aaron, how you feeling about what we can see? Yeah, of what we can see. Um... I mean, Dinobot looks like he's going to have to be a little bit weird the same the way that Masterpiece Dinobot was kind of weird for his transformations. Um, mm-hmm. You can't you, you can't do the the 90s CGI transformations because they just like did blend wipes and stuff like it's, it's I'm not excited physics. though because they pulled some magic with but, that deluxe Cheetor in this wave. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. I saw someone comment uh, that it looks, if you look at the really skewed edge of the packaging art, it looks like they might have, uh, quote unquote, repurposed his spinny blade to just be a gun, uh, as far as what it's meant to be as an accessory. Uh, 
you know, we'll we'll see when we get better photos. I wouldn't be like horribly against that because you can still just say it's a sword anyway. Um, yeah, and no, one maybe can stop maybe you. they just have like a one of the the energy stick on weapon blast effects things that throws in there yeah. so that it doesn't have a sword but it's like a energy blade or maybe it's a shooting thing and somebody just completely space cadetted if he if he doesn't like have a uh <clears throat> like a small like you know sword like sword to wave around i also bet you that's like the first thing a whole bunch of people are going to model up Mm-hmm. So, I don't think that we will be starving necessarily for an option. It just might not come through like in a straightforward official means. Um, but yeah, uh, Kingdom uh, coming soon. Uh, that's that's the small news though. Here's the exciting news: Transformers Collaborative uh, announced they were going to do an X Men crossover, and then just showed it to us. And I'm super hyped for this thing. This is Ultimate X Spance. Who is, uh, the highly Kenner toy biz, not Kenner, toy, I was saying Kenner earlier, so that was the first word that came out of yeah. my mouth. The highly toy Super biz, toy biz. X Men packaged, uh, Blackbird jet that turns into 90s X Men, the Transformer, uh, along with uh, Tiny Sabretooth and Tiny Wolverine, uh, minifigs for scale. This, uh, is very clearly built out of, uh, Studio Series Jetfire. Um, because of the, through all the different photos we can see and the kind of lack of trying to hide it in a lot of them, he's got all the weird jet fire shoulder blade junk, uh, mm-hmm. like the split wingy looking things. He's hugely retooled though. And someone pointed out to me on Twitter that he might end up being better than Jetfire in that, like his head can actually hide in the space it's accommodated. Whereas Jetfire's beard was like, it became the beard of the Blackbird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is this is licensed. This is still a licensed alt mode, uh, which someone pointed out. If you look at the 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 packaging back, you see how the wings are swept forward mm-hmm. on the the packaging back, like the CAD model. But then on these physical photos, the wings are swept back again. Someone was like, "I bet you Lockheed Martin got mad about the forward sweep on the wings," and was like, "Don't do that." <laughs> and that could just be the photo for the box was a misassembled hand paint. Could be that I mean, too, because, but... because because I mean, in the official photos, is the one that has the head halfway shrunk down and the shoulders not all the way locked down. I mean, oh no, I, I mean, I just mean the photo that's on the image number four in their official image package. That that image I'm is just never giving Hasbro photographers the benefit of any doubt. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean that image. I meant the uh, the one on the box back. Oh, I know, I know the one on the box back. But you know who made those photos too, right? Well, the, I think the box back the... ones are CADs. No. Aren't they? Or at least the, the vehicle mode looks very... Uh, it might be, I guess, Photoshop filters. I don't know if that's misassembly, though. Well, I guess if it's just like a, a tab th- or a pin thing. I, I, then I guess technically one could just uh, make them sweep forward themselves. I think, again, this is yeah. coming off... From, of- from the looks of the on-hand photos, those might just be the normal, like, friction peg-on pieces. I haven't got my Jetfire so handy could- to check... But I, I was just going to say, like, the only reason I think that was even really something that came up is, like, the X-Men uh, plane has, like, swept forward winglets or something. Um, yeah. Anyway, the, the cool thing is that I think Studio Series Jetfire is actually a really solid figure who's mostly held back by a lot of the aspects of movie Jetfire. 
So carving those off of the figure and rebuilding it from the torso out makes me excited to mess with this thing. Like this looks super, also this looks super fun. This looks like it's perfectly in spirit with what I've been loving about collaborative, which is that these are actual new Cybertronians, which I hope maintains, uh, with, with all of these. Like I still don't even know if it's going to maintain with gigawatt until like the comic finishes, but uh, for now, I'm, I'm just believing in the cause and I'm, I'm liking this weird team that's assembling. Uh, cause this, this dude, like some people have said, oh, it's Cyclops as a transformer. And it's like, no, he just has Cyclops's visor. But that's, mm-hmm. this is someone new. Uh, this is someone who's also got like robot Liefeld pockets, mm-hmm. which I'm really into. Um, on the belt and across the chest. Yeah. Oh, he's just he's he is a catastrophe to look at, but like in an artistic way. Uh and also the color palette is like, all right, cool. The the only majorly questionable thing to me is that there are three effect parts, and apparently one of them is specifically to clip around Wolverine, and I don't understand why. Like even on the packaging back, they're like, look! You can have Wolverine with pink energy erupting behind him. And I think it's it's like, you know, it looks like it's a burst, like an artistic packaging shot burst. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, but... For some reason, I didn't see that when I saw it. I just thought it was like the um, uh, Scarlet Witch looking like energy halo. That's what I thought. Whenever she'd do Scarlet Witchy things, she'd get like energy around her head. That was kind of like her mask, and I thought maybe that's what it was. Some folks but are wondering no, it goes if, around Wolverine. Okay, yeah. So some folks are wondering if maybe it has a dual purpose and can perhaps interact with the with the head for the sake of like you know Cyclops effects um, with that visor. Um, not like literally like being a laser beam, but like being like you know flashes of energy. Because mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, like he's got he's got Psylocke's Psyblade, and he's got a triple version of it. That's very obviously that's Wolverine's claw. Um, with, you know, cool throwbacks as well. I also like seeing, I like seeing Toy Biz 1990s Sabretooth. Uh, I haven't seen that guy in a while. I don't keep up with a lot of comics very well, but I, I always liked his kind of inexplicable quote unquote costume that doesn't really look like a costume. And I'm never quite sure what's up with that. Uh, but it's good to see him. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm going to try to pick this thing up. Uh, Aaron, how are you feeling? It is it is uh, a Blackbird. Yeah. Um, I haven't pre-ordered it yet. But it's on the list of things I'm kind of paying attention to. I saw the Lockheed Martin get repeated in the ad blurb like 50 times. And I was thinking, oh, Aaron's probably... Yeah. There's like a signal going off. There's a light <laughs> in his living room. <laughs> Just flashes up there by the TV. What is that light? I keep... Uh-oh. Um... But yeah, I'm 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 happy about this. Uh the the collaborative figures have I think been going really well. I have heard uh one um secondhand in hand report about Maverick. Apparently Maverick, if you get over the really boring ass color decisions, is apparently a decent figure. Uh I'm hoping I can find one sometime. I'd like to pick up Maverick in person. I don't really want to like middleman one or or even get someone to like grab one if they see it. I want that to be a figure that I find on my own. That is how I would pick up Maverick. But I, I kind of that way you can hold it and laugh directly at it, and then feel good about it, and then buy it. I'm gonna buy Maverick. I already I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you home, you piece of junk. I came up with a character for him, and I'm I'm completely in on it now because I, you know, I, I got Gigawatt and I stood Gigawatt next to 
Connectotron. And I was like, it's the science team. And then someone else, because I was like, I got to figure out how Maverick factors into this. And someone on Twitter was like, he's the hunky secretary. And I was like, oh, no. It's perfect. Because <laughs> I, I think also, I, I think that, but I'm fusing that with my own headcanon that Maverick is like a sports influencer. He's a volleyball influencer. That's why he's got the volleyball and the branded helmet. Uh, and so like this volleyball influencer who part times is a hunky secretary for the science team. And then we got ultimate X pants and I'm figuring out a role for ultimate X pants. It's on the drawing board, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> this collaborative thing has been going well, in my opinion, uh, very much on the back that these are also all new Cybertronian characters. That's about 40% of the attraction for me. And I'm, I'm not joking. Like that these are new Transformers Cybertronians who are also crossover things. If if these were all like known Transformers characters, or even worse, if this was, you know, just the old thing of like it's Mecha Cyclops, it's Cyclops piloting a robot, I'd be probably way less interested than this. Um So we'll see when that thing comes out. I I already forgot that thing went up for pre order, I forgot when its release date is, but it's sometime Oh, March. It's in March. Uh, so that's that's oddly close, actually. That's only th- four months away. That feels close right now. Who knows? It's a weird uh, era that we're in. But what isn't weird is on topic what we got this week. Aaron, let's talk about some Transformers m- merchandise and or products. Okay. Um, I got some stuff. Do you got some stuff? I got I got four things that are on topic. All right, let's trade back and forth. Okay. But you go first. Um, I'll start with the thing I got most recently, and that was Bug Bite. Oh, that's one of mine. I got Bug Bite, too. Okay. I think that he came out better than Cliff Jumper. I mean, it's the same mold, and it's just a different head. I still haven't but... got Cliff Jumper. Like, I've got Hubcap and Bug Bite, and Cliff Jumper <laughs> went on sale on Amazon, and I hovered over him, and I was like, I don't know if I want Cliff Jumper anymore. <laughs> I've, got, like, <laughs> I've got, like, two really nice versions of this mold, and what you just said is making me go, like, man, I don't know if I need Cliff Jumper. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Bug Bite, for me, pegged together really well. Um, I like the the purple has a kind of almost like metallic-y sheen to it, it seems like. It's gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it has the the uh, Mercenaries logo on it was kind of the lock for me on all of it. That, so. that was why like I, I, I had skipped ordering them online, and then I saw him in person at EV Games and was like, oh, he's the Merc symbol, and I want toys, I'm going to buy mm-hmm. him. Uh, yep. Now I really want to track down Exhaust. Exhaust, I never had a shot online. I missed his window online. So I'm hoping he pops up again. Yeah, it was I was was glad to get exhausted. Now this goes with him, and I don't know if I can bite the bullet for Sound Blaster, but now that I have two, I should have I would, all three. I would really like that because I actually liked Sound Blaster in that cartoon too. He was my favorite character, yeah. so I would like to have that version yeah. of him. <laughs> yeah, that's the the uh, the, uh, the Japanese release, toy right? Collector problems. Japanese releases the Merc symbol. Are we getting that over here as well? Or? No, that's the um, Netflix um, Walmart release, I think. Is it? I thought Sound Blaster was a Takara Tomy thing. I can't remember. Uh, I would rather if he came out over here because then I don't have to think about importing him. But I would like Merc symbol Sound Blaster. Oh, have you have you gone on the info dive? I'm I'm, I'm we, looking. Are we closing the loop? 
Uh, that's the War for Cybertron one. Because Sound Wave is in the, the Netflix thing. Yeah. Sound Blaster, I believe, never came out in Japan, and so his release over there was updated for uh, the Merc symbol. As I recall reading it on my phone at some indeterminate point. <laughs> Maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, the the Netflix is Soundwave, not Sound Blaster. Yeah. I have found the news story. <clears throat> the Takaratomi release of Sound Blaster shows differences, clean chest window with no battle damage and a merc symbol. Uh, so he's coming out in Japan under SGEX, which means a Takaratomi Mall exclusive. Okay. So he's going to probably be expensive. But... Uh, I was going to say convention get if ever conventions happen again, maybe. Hey, by the time we have a convention, he'll probably be in a dealer room. Cause the, you know, yeah, he'll, be, he'll be on the discount part of the dealer room because he's been sitting around for two years. Cause... Well, I didn't say that part, <sighs> but I would like that for sure. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, by the time we have a convention with a dealer room again that I, I would want to go to, as opposed to perhaps one that is being put on in my local area monthly for the last few months, I discovered and I'm pretty angry to hear. Um, He'll have come out, and then he'll have gotten two dealers, and he'll have sold online, and then they'll still have the ones left over from, you know, all the Philistines who don't want to pay the huge extra for the Merc symbol. Leaving him mm-hmm. ripe for the picking for for uh, connoisseurs like you, you and myself. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bug Bite, the only thing about Bug Bite I've heard that I haven't had happen on mine that I could notice yet, but I can kind of see how it might be a thing. I, I read somewhere that on a couple folks, uh, his paint has come off pretty easy or not come off, but like at least, you know, been scuffed pretty easy. Yeah. And I could see that on the really glossy white parts that that would stick out if it happens. It hasn't happened on mine yet. Yeah. And I, I, I'm fine. I guess if it happens, I'm not going to be too mad. Uh, also, hey, that's it's the bumblebee head. We got to look at the bumblebee head. Mm-hmm. It's a nice bumblebee head. I don't, I don't know if I need that Netflix bumblebee anymore either. Uh, yeah, but that's actually the that's actually the Volkswagen, though. I mean, that's the that's the difference for bumblebee. All right, new backpack, new feet. Where it's where it's not just yeah, where he it's a new shell and 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 all. Yeah, but bug bite came out first. I am liking how much he can tilt the head. I've been messing with that ever since I got him. Like, his head can tilt Mm -hmm. sideways a bit. It's lovely. I guess with Bug Bite... I mean, does Netflix Bumblebee still have the same gun? I can't remember anymore. I think so. That's another reason. If Netflix Bumblebee had new accessories, I'd probably be a little bit more excited to try to track him down. Because even though I've only got two of this mold, I am already getting kind of tired of the Cliffjumper cannon. Yeah. Uh, it it looks very much like Cliff Jumper's weapon on both of these guys. Uh, and on Bug Bite, it's kind of like I I kind of want to just leave three parts somewhere off to the side and just use the purple like hand cannons. Well, you you, you just like make it the skis or back or or whatever the other parts were. Yeah, this is also all of these characters like with the skis. I'm kind of like, look, that's that's Cliff Jumper's thing. Bu- bug Bite Bug Bite's all in white though, so. You know he's been spending the days at the slopes. True. Oh, yeah, they're actual skis, not water skis. Yeah. All right, I'm cool with this now. Uh, all right. 
Well, we got to, we got the Bug Bite Appreciation Squad going on here. Uh, I alluded to it before, so I'll just talk about him now. I got I got my pre-order of Gigawatt in the Back to the Future DeLorean Transformer. Uh, he is very good. He is better than Ectotron as far as just overall delivery, uh, and and also not having kind of annoying accessories. Like I'm sorry, I do like most of it, but Ectotron's um, Proton Pack is kind of. 90% great, but the 10% that aren't really aren't great. And I'm super worried about the soft plastic on Ectotron still. Um, okay. N- none of that is a problem on uh, Gigawatt. He has soft plastic stuff, but it's the big, you know, it's his what he's using as a melee weapon, the big hook from Back to the Future 1. That's not bad. That, that thing's soft plastic. It's also, mine was mangled as hell in the package. But uh, if that thing falls apart, it falls apart, and I don't super care. Ectotron has very critical pieces that are soft plastic uh, and rely on flexing, too. <laughs> um, but Gigawatt feels great. I mean, Siege Sideswipe was already a good figure, and he builds on that figure very well. Uh, a surprising number of new transformation steps. The front wheels are actually double-jointed, so they have a hinge, and they use both hinges for uh, robot mode, but they have a hinge just primarily for um, aligning with the rear wheels when you do the hover car mode, and then another hinge so they can fold in more for the robot mode, which is kind of cool. Um, his arms also, or his shoulders, have got, like, uh, little panels that lock onto the hood in car mode, and they're very small, but they're like, I think they're completely new, because I don't remember those being on Sideswipe. Uh, and also the uh, the vents <clears throat> on the back of the DeLorean uh, fold into the empty cavities on the lower robot legs. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot of really cool extra twists. Uh, the only thing that's a little bit freaky is actually revealing the flux capacitor and the, the time uh, readouts on the chest. Because uh, those things are in incredibly close proximity to his head in both modes. And I read on the TF wiki that it sounds like, at least, like given that it was written on there, it sounds like at least one person who I guess edits for the wiki has had it happen where some of the um, the time code on the, the, the third row has worn off a little bit because it's, it's painted onto the onto the translucent plastic. And mm. also his head can easily rub around on those digital code uh, paint apps uh, if you're not too careful, or even if you're just, like, you know, bumping stuff by accident. So that's potentially a problem going forward, but I guess we'll see as more people get them. Uh, otherwise, just, just an excellent figure, the brushed metal sculpting. Um, it's not as shiny as some of the photos looked, but it is very cool uh, as an effect in person. And... He's just like an enhanced siege sideswipe with a very solid alt mode and uh, a lot of character. Um, I've only read the first issue of the comic book, and uh, I think they've made some cool choices already. The only thing I just need to see now, hopefully in issue two, it is laid out, is whether or not Gigawatt is a completely new Transformer Cybertronian, or if he's something else. I, I think there's a small chance he might be something else, and I would be bummed out if he's just Doc Brown. I really hope he isn't, and I don't think he will be given his tech spec on the toy packaging, but other than that, that's a minor, minor quibble. A uh, very solid toy, and I hope everyone can get a hold of him. Uh, I think he he is just a, a tighter package than Ectotron. Um, and also, you know, people like Back to the Future, apparently. So I've heard. Aaron, I think, are you into Back to the Future? I, it's an enjoyable movie trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
the DeLorean mode is also just very nice. Like I, I, even if you don't think the figure's all that great, if you have a friend who picks one up and someday you can see your friend again, uh, get a look at this thing. Like it, it turned out pretty well. Anyway, that's, uh, that's mine. Uh, Aaron, what's your number two? Hey, the one wave two, um, Earthrise toy that I found. The uh, Airwave. Hey, my, had, my had goon. To, had to remember his name. My yeah. thug, my goon from the Goon Squad. Yeah. So I still have the the hot hot link hot hot house pants hot house uh, on pre order from Big Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, because I kind of totally given up on ever seeing these at all. Um, and then was at I think it was at uh, Target. And like, ah, yeah, I'll go look at toys while we're here to do. I'd go, ah, ah, airwave, and then it was like flip through everything else. It was there, cliff jumpers, and uh, like go check out all the rest of toys all around, back and forth, and salt jack and something else. Um, but yeah, uh, airwave. I, I'm, I'm, I dig the modulators. I don't know how much I dig Airwave, which makes me kind of regret Hot House as a pre-order. I know I can still cancel it, but <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, mostly because, like, his knee pegs are abysmal. Like, I, you know, I know that with these, the whole thing is you kind of take them apart and put them together the way that you could, like, micro-machine bases type of thing. Um, but it, it's very... Because are they very, just falling out on yours? The the connection, yeah. I mean, it's it's very little um, force is needed. Like it it just wants to come off. Okay. When it's a when it's a knee, it's that peg I think is just the tiniest bit too small. I just grab mine. Uh, on mine, they are not tight and not loose. They're just enough, so it's not a problem on mine. But it seems like that yeah, could be like the, case to case. Yeah, the one leg. The left leg is a little bit stickier, um, but the right leg, like it, it without any twisting force, it'll come out. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's very it's probably just a case of with that sort of connection that there's no like deeper engagement point on it. It's it just doesn't want to hold, but. I ran it through. I did like the instructions for him came with like six different ways to combine them as like a a aircraft carrier looking thing, a combat tank looking thing, a, a flat chunk of road looking thing. Like I appreciated that it had multiple versions versus the first modulator that only had like the one and then like the online instructions also had the weird tower crane scoop thing. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the whole the whole thing with ironworks. Yeah. So I like they included a lot more, and it's definitely something where I think having multiples of these various modulators will let you do more things as bases, especially since it has all of the airlock connections, so you can make a big display out of it. I this is what I'd love to see is like the version of Hasbro's Toy Fair display but with everything that's come out in the line. Yeah. Not just Wave 1 
18 times. I, I am happy that, uh, like, that they announced another Odyssey set, which has um, another... I think it was it was it's another pair of of uh, the two modulators in new colors, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy about that because I just don't I like these guys as individual characters, so I don't want to double buy colorways. But if they keep repainting them, I'm down with that because then mm-hmm. then it's I can do the city building thing, and it seems pretty fun. Or even you know the multi mech building thing, but not have to go like yeah I have 15 airwaves. They're all just airwaves because I'm like well to me because of because of how he struck me i like airwave being airwave <laughs> yeah i did see i did see somebody that did like how i have my 18 gun yeah where i think he had like three airwaves i've seen some good triple airwave base modes and i've seen Maybe. i've seen some really cool robots built out of quadruple airwaves yeah maybe it was more but it was de- it was definitely like I want to say it was like two of the chest modules, like sideways, and then one on top of it or something. Yeah, that that turned his weird little packs into like a weird V'd out six pack. Yeah, and I've seen some cool things where like someone took the four modulators that are out right now and like combined them as a robot, and I'm like, I'm into that. That's also really yeah. cool, especially if two more copies are coming out, then I can, like, you know, sub out the Decepticon ones until, like, you know, they have the story where the, the Decepticon ones join forces with their Autobot bros. And- see, and, and that's where I, I would love to see, like, the thing that just popped to mind would be, like, a weird, like, ARG-style deal of Hasbro bearing behind the red color filter thing a QR code that you can scan that'll take you to the secret instructions for I just would... some of the craziness of like look the designer like find the 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 designer that the most needs like a half day to just go <laughs> nutsoid and like let him put together the ultimate like eight way, you know, take one of each of these things and put them together, mad scientist style. I, I would just like for and, their paper instructions to be easily found, since it, you have to see all four figures instructions <sighs> to see all the modes that were yeah, intended. That too. That too. I I love the old days where you could just go like, where are my instructions? You know, find instructions on Hasbro dot com, and yeah, they still have it, but it's only for like Armada and Energon or something. Yeah, because I went looking at one point in time. I was like, "Ooh, that you have these as PDFs, man. Just, just upload the PDFs. You just you go down and you talk to Mike and and records, and and he's got them there. Yeah, just yeah. on a on on it's it's on the network, man. You just got to copy it from from this directory over to the web directory, and they're PDFs. You can't you can't get too nefarious with. With PDF, just, it just, it just, just bums me over. out the look She's of just... it that like the. I mean, we yelled about this before, but it just bums me out the look of it that like these things that exist as digital files are not available from the source. We have to wait for fan sites to scan the instructions themselves, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's nothing against the fan sites. I just think it's super dumb that we gotta wait for the fan sites to scan the paper the, the, instructions. The one, that, the one that you really need is just a photo, and what you really need is in a wrinkle in the photo. And why couldn't you at least put them? The plat. Everybody had the flatbed scanners back in the day. You just you just go get one of those. You hook it up with the parallel port that your motherboard still has because reasons for parallel whoa, 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 ports. Whoa, 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 and you whoa, just I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta step right in and say 
all the ones I have seen, people people who are scanning these, they are scanning them like pros. There's yeah. the 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 bad scanners. They all moved on to taking like potato photos of stolen toys or something. I don't know. Uh, but the instruction the instruction scans I have seen are good. I just I wish it wasn't on yeah. folks to have to do that. Right. Um, I was doing a bit, Chris. It was supposed to be for the funny. I know, you but I, I funny. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stand up for people doing good, proper flatbed scanning because they, you know, they're there. It's not like I called out a specific one. I said the one that you need. Maybe, it, <laughs> maybe it was the Cybertron one that I was looking for. You don't know. Could be, could be. This also reminds me of something I forgot to bring up about about Gigawatt that I wanted to tell you, which was a really good piece of news. Uh good instructions so gigawatts package is trying to mimic a g1 package right mm-hmm. his instructions are trying to mimic g1 instructions as well and do you know what that means mm-hmm. it means that the images are huge and oh. and uh the the uh the shading on a piece that's moving is a nice pleasant mid-light teal so you can still see everything and the pictures are large and there is a decent amount of written text uh where necessary so what you need to do is you need to go to every site that you can find and like leave review leave reviews on hasbro pulse on amazon on walmart.com wherever you can put a review in the and text do that. is maybe mention it maybe mention on that youtube thing that you do too but nobody pays attention to those put it on hasbro pulse put it on amazon the, the text is not necessarily like text about what is happening transformation wise if i recall correctly it's more just that there is text on the instructions but still it's it's just it's big pictures, and it was really nice to look at, and it helped me notice things like those little swiveling panels on his shoulders that are new that I would not have noticed necessarily otherwise. It's it's good instructions, Aaron. Whenever you pick up Gigawatt, you're gonna love the instructions. Let me tell you, it's on it's on pre order to for for one one twenty one. Whenever whenever Gigawatt finally comes Pulse. out uh, over in America. Yeah, once you guys get him, you know, I mean, he debuted in Canada because that's, you know, where Back to the Future's fandom uh, primarily is located. But once he comes out over there, oh, you're going to love those instructions. Is it because you're stuck back in time 20 years? Or? No, it's just because we got hovering cars here. Sorry, I, was, no, I wasn't supposed to tell you about that yet. That's, mm, forget I said that. Um, anything else about Airwave you want to talk about? Um, do you not have one to talk about? I thought we were going to go back and forth. Uh, well, yeah, but I didn't want to cut in on you right away. Um, no, I, I, I understand the method that we're doing. All right, because I, I was, and it's not like eleven thirty at night, so I'm not going to be too snippy. I was going to say, like, now that we've talked a whole bunch about Airwave, what if we just keep talking about the same toy? Because I bought Hot House with Bug Bite. Okay. Uh, so I just checked Hot House's um, knee pegs are tighter on mine than on my Airwave. Okay, so that might be a thing. See, I feel I feel better now. Uh, the other thing about Hot House is that there's nothing new about him. He is literally Airwave. So... Uh, does he have different hand accessory things? Nope. <laughs> really? <laughs> he is. In fact, okay. his orange is identical to Airwave. Ah, <laughs> uh, you don't need to figure out a new shoot schedule if the, the the plastic's different that's okay well the, the nice thing is in the photos his blue looked identical as well and i can say that the orange is the only shared color uh i think the gray is even a little bit different it might not be different enough to matter but the main thing is the blue is a lot lighter on hothouse okay um hothouse also has like fire station written on him 
um, which is pretty funny. But yeah, Hothouse, there's nothing new about him, which is disappointing to me after the great tweaks on Grease Pit. Um, I don't know what I was hoping for. I was just hoping for something. Uh, and it's not there. Um, I do, I like, this is my, of the two modulators, this is the one I like a little bit more, so I'm, I'm fine having another one. And in fact, the shared orange, but nothing else, immediately made me start headcanoning. So I'm like, yeah, this is, this is Airwave's brother, but this is like his noble, heroic brother who really wants to bring his, his, you know, unfortunate, scummy, uh, little brother back to the fold of goodness, but Airwave's just a total goon. Um, and so the way I differentiate the two is on, on Hothouse, I just put all of his accessories onto his, his, uh, stump hand. So it's like okay. the, the thick base and then both lasers. So he has this big, long thing for a hand. And I'm like, yeah, it's his lance. Cause he's a noble, he's a noble night man who fights fires as well in his spare time, uh, and turns into a firefighting tank thing. Um, but yeah, there's nothing, otherwise there is nothing new about him. I'm not sure if his instructions have different modes. I didn't actually check yet cause I keep misplacing where I put instruction sheets. Cause I'm so used to just like kind of dishing them in a bag. Uh, and I didn't realize that this was an important thing with the modulators until it was too late. <laughs> mm. Um, but since he has no retooling, I'm not sure if there's really anything fresh on him. Because Airwave's instructions were very comprehensive compared to what I heard about Ironworks's. Uh, so, yeah. The thing about... I guess the worst thing to say about Hothouse is that there is nothing new about Hothouse. But Aww. I'm all right having him because now I have a second... Uh, technically, a second Airwave or Hothouse. So I can start doing those multi-base build things that everyone's talking about. Um... But yeah, other than that, the only other thing about him is he's got like some of his paint apps, like these stripes um, on his collar in robot mode and the white panel uh, that has the fire station thing written on it. That's like white paint over top of red plastic or blue plastic. Uh, and it's all right, but there are definitely frayed edges. Like it's not a super clean coat. It's one coat. Um, so okay. you know, if that bothers you, bear that in mind. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Hothouse. Aaron, how about you for number three? So, had a Hasbro Pulse order come through from Wave 3, um, for Fast Track. I could have ordered him for full retail and chose not to when I watched how he transforms. I'd rather find him in person or on sale, but am I wrong? I think his transformation's pretty neat, actually. It looked cool. I just, I was like, I needed to I mean, confirm he, he's, if he splits. He's still a weapon. He's still very much a weaponizer. He does split in half. Yeah, but he he's a weaponizer. Like looking at him like that. Like, were you cool with all of the other weaponizers? This is another one of those. Um, and the way that he splits is actually kind of neat to me. Like you take off his backpack piece that can fold out in order to make the staff part of the staff mm -hmm. bits. And then you slide his chest off of the hips where there's not actually like stuff that pegs them together, but it's the cutout shape of things that holds it together. That's kind of cool. So it was, it was definitely a, a, a different take on doing it in like doing the same thing, but a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, he, he folds down into an incredibly compact package. Like he, you know, he 
scales out about the same as any other deluxe, but it seems like, you know, for the way that he transforms, he's a lot denser all down together. And then he, he makes a giant staff, which is fun and weird in a special way. I I didn't think, like, I got it so that I could have the staff for Scorponok, but the way that he does it is like, oh, and he makes a neat staff. Yeah, it it kind of it kind of shifted on me in a way that I wasn't expecting it to. So I I very much enjoy him. the The blue on him's got a little bit of a metallic, like a, the the metal um, sheen sparkle in it. Mm-hmm. So he he's good. He's enjoyable. He he rolls on his little six wheels. Does it does it make you start thinking? Hey, what if I also got Rurichi? I. After getting this, I did cancel my um, Big Bad and, uh, Black Rotorichi. Just because, like, I don't need two of them, and I'm not going to get a Black Zerk. Even if Black Zerk comes out, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to get him. Scorpionok could play the drums if you got him. Yeah, he could, <laughs> I guess. But um, when I wasn't incredibly sure, like, I impulse pre-ordered a bunch of things on Big Bad that I then rolled back. Um, I remember that week, because everything during, kept selling out during, every time you went to look at yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> everything kept selling out, and I just said, screw it. And since then, other pre-orders have, have come up or, you know, randomly show up at a Target, so I feel less paranoid about things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I if you see him for, for a good price, I'd pick him up. Uh, if, if you want a complete Scorponok, pick him up. I still haven't got Scorponok. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Because uh, he's very conveniently never on sale, which is a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm, I, I'm not like against getting Fast Track. I'm just like, I saw him for regular Canadian retail, and I was like, ah. <laughs> he looks fine. It's just there's there's other figures I'd rather get at, re- at regular retail, and he's not not necessarily one of them. Thanks. Um, it's totally understandable. I did get something on sale finally that I'm very happy I got on sale finally. I got on sale for mm-hmm. 70 Canadian dollars. Uh, and it even got delivered to me, unlike when I got Skylinks on sale and he never showed up. Um, so I, I got Masterpiece Movie Jazz for 70 Canadian dollars. Uh, That's not a bad price. Let me do the quick Google conversion. That is... Fifty three eighty seven in American dollars, uh, plus tax. Anyway, I really like this figure a ton. Mm. Uh, How, so the issue that I had with his his like forearms not present on mine. I checked that thing really quickly. Mm. Um, I can see how I can see how that would be a case to case issue though, because it's a clear tab that mm-hmm. is like kind of going through multiple separate pressures. Yeah, um, mine works. Like though. I said. N- now mine are hooked in, and again, I don't know if it's just a matter of I had something off just a few degrees. Yeah. Um, the, the the forearms are complicated uh, as far as... I think that things do have to line up in a certain way. And also, going back to car mode, like there's a lot of things that tab together that are... Like, you wouldn't think they tab together. Um, also, I'll just say it, because we, we have to always say this. The instructions are bunkum garbage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> holy crap. Uh, Hot, smelly, stinky garbage that's been out in the sun for like two weeks. Especially after Gigawatt. Holy crap. <laughs> Gigawatt's 
instruction photos are four times the sizes of every single one of MPM Jazz's instruction photos. Uh, but yeah, um, the MPM Jazz is really damn good. Uh, it's, it's sort of annoying how up and down this line is, but boy, when this line works, like, it is really fun. Uh, the, the transformation is just excellent, and, like, he doesn't really cheat anything. Like, the only cheat he does mm-hmm. is he, he, all of us, like, he cheats his backpack, technically. Except that everything on the other side of that cheat panel is represented on the cheat panel. It's just mm-hmm. that they didn't engineer it all to, like, you know, jigsaw puzzle itself into that shape. They're like, flip it 180. It's all still back there. So, like, the like this dude doesn't parts cheat at all and forms a really solid robot. Like, the, the only real problem I have with him is that several joints are fairly loose in robot mode, um, which I've been told is pretty common. Uh, like, his neck ball joint is really jiggly, and his arm joints are not all that great. Um, mm-hmm. which is all stuff I can eventually tweak if I really want to. Uh, but I, I just like transforming him. Like transforming him is really fun. Um, I, I will say the, uh, the Sam Witwicky minifigure he comes with is, uh, what do you call it? Garbage? It's still the, in the plastic. It, it's still in the plastic. It, it's terrible. Uh, it's it's un it is in fact unpainted. Why did you remove it from the plastic? Because I, I, I threw out the plastic and I, I didn't want to throw out the thing I paid for. <laughs> you paid for the plastic too. I guess technically. I, I wanted and the box. I wanted him to go with my Ironhide, who's also pretty janky. It's this Sam Witwicky is the is the Sam that MPM Ironhide deserves to be standing behind. Because uh, yeah, he doesn't have a face, and he only has. The three paint apps, I guess four paint apps, his face, his hands, and the cube are just blobs of color. The rest of him is solid black plastic. And then he's got this, like, stand that is molded to his right foot, but his left foot pegs into it, but the stand is curvy and twisted like a Pringles chip. Mm-hmm. And also, he's he's doesn't look right with jazz in any situation. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, the jazz other accessories, like I like, I actually really like how the gun and the spinal cord connect together. Yeah. Uh, I like the way it, it makes, it makes like a weird, like matrix sentinel thing. Yeah. And it, and it has a really nice mounting point on the spoiler. Like it, it holds mm-hmm. on there really well. And it, I checked, it feels like all the friction is underneath the spoiler. So if it's going to mess with the silver paint, it's more likely going to mess with the silver paint that's out of sight underneath the spoiler. Um, mm-hmm. and the waste separation gimmick is super nice. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Like, cause you, you can't do it without meaning to. And then I know, you know, that you had told me about that and other people have mentioned it, but like actually messing with it, I was like, yeah, like this is, it's not possible to accidentally pull him in half, and that's all I wanted from that gimmick. Uh, I, I think I uh, I tried to I I I, met, I gotta take a photo of it sometime. I I disassembled his waist and I put the spinal cord piece on him, and then I jammed the spinal cord back into the socket on his pelvis uh, for like a T one thousand look, uh, and that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing about the spinal cord that's kind of weird is that there's no way that that fits into either half of his body. Like that spinal cord is really long. Uh, I guess it just droops out of his upper half. Yeah, it's 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 like y- your guts. Once you don't have something holding them in the squiggly way, it just kind of flurps out. Just what's the spinal cord doing up there normally? Like, boy, it's... <laughs> well, it's, it's generally compressed. 
And like then all of a sudden when he his upper half is is being held without all the other requisite robot true gut parts and and no hips it all just kind of like relaxes and extends out as he it, dies like, a slow death and then and a transform that comes apart can never be healed true. until the next movie uh basically like all of my knowledge of how spinal cords works comes from the mortal Kombat series um so i i just assume spinal cords like you know are, are fairly uh like rigid whip-like objects uh that come out in one chunk um i didn't think about the part where they might just droop out the bottom because uh, in Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. when people get cut in half, their spinal cord doesn't droop out the bottom. And Mortal Kombat is like scientifically right, but sound. Cut in half. They're not. No, ripped people in get half. ripped in half in Mortal Kombat. Like, like grabbed by the hips and yeah, by a giant tank robot. Listen, there's eleven Mortal Kombat games. All right, <laughs> is it done by a giant tank robot? Not a giant tank okay. robot. So, so no, then is what you're saying. They just launched a pack where you could. They put three actors from the Mortal Kombat movie in as skins and got their actors to come in and do voice recordings. And one of them is Christopher Lambert. <laughs> so it's 2020 Christopher Lambert quoting himself from the 1990 whatever Mortal Kombat film. So now you can have Christopher. I saw a video of Christopher Lambert. As Raiden from Mortal Kombat, using electricity to quadrisect Sylvester Stallone as John Rambo, hmm. and with with both actors providing the voices, it was very strange. I, I'm digging it. Uh, but yeah, MPM Jazz is a good time. I'm very happy with them, uh, and it. I've heard I have heard positivity about MPM Ratchet, so I'm crossing my fingers. That MPM Ratchet goes on sale sometime. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm waiting to see if uh, because Target has had a, a MPM Ratchet hanging around for a while. I've been waiting to see if that gets a half off, and I can get that the same way I got the uh, the Star Scream. But yeah, it generally seems like with MPM, even the worst ones, like hey, if you get it on sale, then it's like a serviceably it's a serviceable transforming toy. Yeah. If you get it on sale, I would I would get, I would get it on sale. Not at the I think it was at like one thirty or one forty or something. E, yeah. Which which yeah was like yeah that's I guess kind of the price for it. I should say when I say e, it's like well that's what it costs. Like it is it is not like a, a horrific markup. It's just like it, yeah amidst many other things coming out, MPM tw- is is a very reasonable line to like kind of just hold back on and see when you can get it like on yeah. a discount. <laughs> The website says one twenty for Target, hmm. which it's just like, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the price for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is MPM to me has proven itself to be a line that is not impossible to catch on sale and is almost mm-hmm. always exponentially more enjoyable on sale. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, Runabout still sold out. Oh right, there's that whole thing. Oh, you know, I just remembered. I pre-ordered Prowl and Ironhide and the the Conehead 2-pack in the spring, and they still haven't shipped from Amazon Canada. They just keep telling me that someday they will. Uh, did I mention that I, yeah. I also ordered Lifeline My, mine and... Is... I, I ordered Lifeline and Ratchet, and they went out for delivery and just never arrived. And I got a refund. But I'm like, I, I would like to actually get a figure sometime. <laughs> Oh my my uh my ratchet should and and that sh- that sh- says shipping so I hope they do oh. <laughs> uh 
Anyway, that's that's my jazz story. That's all the Transformers I got this week on topic. Okay. I have one that I saw during my Tennessee trip. Ooh. That was was my my final on topic thing here of a Blitzwing from the movie. Ooh. I like that figure a lot. Yeah, he is I I feel like he is that odd swing in studio series where uh, he's better than I think he should be. <laughs> like I I don't know I don't I don't know why. It's like you like, should be more disappointing. Yeah. Amazingly not a ton of like under jet kibble for for what he is. It's just like his arms mm-hmm. are there because his the trick that his legs do so cool is, is, is so cool like the only thing i wish is that his that like maybe the back part that splits around the tail fin if that extended past the tail fin in order to make the whole top of it a little bit smoother maybe oh i should ask do you, do you know about the fixable production um misassembly on him what fixable production misassembly is that? So you know he has these two little winglets on his shoulders. Yes, they rev- they put the wrong one on the on each shoulder, and they I don't know if yours feels a little bit weird and jiggly on those things. Their tolerances improve massively on, on mine, at least when you switch them around. Uh, they pop off real easy. Yeah, they're they were put in the left ones on the right one, and vice versa. Okay, seems like a universal uh, production error on him. Oh, yeah, that that's a whole lot better. Yeah. I didn't notice it for like a week and a half, and then I read about it on Twitter, and I was like, that can't be all that much of a thing I did. I was like, oh, my God, that's a real improvement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, even for, because he's in jet mode right now, that holds better and closes up better. Hm. Yeah. Neat. But, yeah, I saw, we, we had a random dog stop, because uh, we took... Mr. Romo along with us on this trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we got off the highway and there was a Target right there and I was like, hey, could we you know, let go in the Target? We're still in Kentucky where they are surprisingly over the top about all of their mask stuff. It should be safe for us to just poke in here real quick. And so then we let him do his doggy business and then abandon him in the car forever for the 10 minutes it took us to go into Target. We were gone forever. Oh, but when he came um, back, he he told you that you're both going to jail? Oh, it was... No, <laughs> it was a miracle when we came back. It was... Um, uh, it was amazing. We also did come back with dog treats as a bribe, so that could have been part of it, too. But... No, I am I am thoroughly impressed with, with Blitzwing. I just wish... Like, because he was an F4 in the movie, and he's... Just enough, not an F four. He's a something. Um, I, I didn't think of in, in yeah. this version. He's not. He's not actually like anything real or licensed. Um, so in his, in the the studio series incarnation, I didn't think anything of it. And I saw talk about it on Twitter, and I was like, it can't be that big a deal. And I went to look at the movie again, and I was like, oh, he he doesn't look anything like this, Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is a completely yeah. like I, I don't really mind it, but I'm like no, I could see how like if you do think that jet is cool and you were going to get a cool toy of it and you didn't, that could be quite disappointing. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the F4 Phantom is very is a very distinctive 
aircraft where the 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 tail has uh is is very cranked down the wingtips are are odd or the wings themselves are kind of odd shaped and cranked in odd angles and it was one of those aircraft that was definitely like this flies through thrust not through any like <laughs> wonderful aerodynamics it just goes nah more engine um, by the way, if, yeah. if you all haven't heard it, please go check out our podcast, Transforming uh, Transformers and Aeronautics. Uh, Aeronautics and Transformers uh, came out this year. It's a very fun discussion. It's on YouTube as well. Aaron's in mm-hmm. it. That's re- yeah. reminded me of uh, of whenever we recorded that 50 years ago. Uh, yeah. Hey, Aaron, this is a piece of news. Or like, or like two months oh, or something. Two months. It feels <laughs> like it's a million years. All right. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, we didn't touch on this in the news because I kind of forgot. And also because this, this guy got announced and they're like, pre-order's up now. He comes out like next year, but not like in January, but actually very much next year. And so I kind of forgot about him. But uh, they we got the reveal officially uh, of the retool of Blitzwing into Starscream with the Cybertronian alt mode. Yeah, that is that is a retool that is doing the Blitzwing is doing a lot of work in there. Mm-hmm. I, I said that on on Twitter or something, and somebody's like, "No, it's not at all Blitzwing." I was like, "Well, I I'm sitting here looking at a Blitzwing. I can see like all of these components that are very much the same. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's it's very clearly built upon the the skeleton of Blitzwing. He definitely has some underhang as Starscream." Mm-hmm. Uh, by design, I should say the the official art or concept art, not you know official, of course, but like the artwork of those Cybertronian jets the, that are sort of tetragetti. They, in fact, not not to the degree the toy has. They do have a weird thing hanging off the bottom, though, uh, which I guess was seen as an opportunity to have a place to put some stuff whilst making that that mold more of a tetrajet. Yeah. I understand how it's not digging with a lot of people. I believe myself and maybe one other person, though, are. I can't. I just. I remember having this conversation when the reveal happened. I really like it. I don't begrudge anyone who hates it. I really like that Starscream. I really like that alt mode. I think it is pretty jank looking, but it's like exactly in the realm of the jank Cybertronian vehicle modes I kind of enjoy. Uh, yeah. And especially with like the Bumblebee movie, so much of the Cybertronian modes were just like made up. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess it's all kind of made up, but it's all—it's like very, very much like what does this need to be for the character? Not we're trying to fit this into a thing. Because I mean, hundred percent. If you're going to show me like some of those front-on shots where it is just like this weird lumpy lump under mm-hmm. the you know hanging under the tetrajet, I'm like, no, it is a weird lumpy lump. It's probably not going to. If you're not digging it, that is completely valid. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to say that it's great and you should like it just because in the official CG model artwork, etc., there was an underhang thing that was absolutely not as lumpy as that lumpy lump underneath Starscream. What did the War for Cybertron game Tetrajets look like? They were, um, we, we have multiple toys of them. Uh, they, um, they were um, more of yeah, a Yeah, that's what I'm trying to remember. They, they were more of just a flying lump. Yeah. Um... Because the the thing the Bumblebee movie ones are trying to do that is weirder, yeah. The, in War for Cybertron, it was it was not even so much a tetrajet as it was just a forward swept wing jet with a triangle tail fin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it, it was a lot less like the siege design is more tetrajet than War for Cybertron is. Um, okay. 
But yeah, the, the, the Bumblebee movie ones, I can see what they were thinking of is like, okay, why would a pyramid jet even exist? They're like, okay, there's like an under hanging aerodynamic laser gun thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, whatever. That's cool. Um, and the toy is trying to do that with the leg parts, which is messier. Uh, but I don't really mind it. <laughs> I'm still into it. I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping if a lot of people don't dig it, that he'll be very easy to get. <laughs> um, but yeah, I realized we hadn't brought that up. Uh, Aaron, excellent. Welcome to the Blitzwing Club. Um, Thank you. I'm. It's nice being here. I'm trying to figure out the thing still where he has the one hand with the joint, and I've seen people talk about how oh, that's so he can hold Jeep Bumblebee by the neck for, like, the pose from the one scene. I can't get that jointed hand to interact with Jeep Bumblebee whatsoever. <laughs> in any yeah, I... Even if Jeep Bumblebee is hovering on a flight stand, so he just has to hold his hand next to him, that knuckle joint isn't doing anything remotely useful for that pose. Uh, I was hoping maybe you'd had an epiphany, but it sounds like no. <laughs> no. No, I think it's neat that he has an opening and closing hand. That's cool. Oh, yeah, and the hand but. swap thing is also kind of cool, just in that you can give him weird weird hand options. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's our on top of what we got. Now we're going to hit some more of our, our whack of listener questions. I, I chunked three of them in here. Uh, I might, I think I said this before, I might paraphrase my way a little bit through them and not, like, read the entire things, and I do apologize if you were hoping I would, I would read everything aloud. Uh because this is in part a catch-up on a queue that I would like us to catch up on, I also don't want to, like, belager the point too much. I want to get to the questiony bits. Uh, all that said, this first question from Malunus T is less than three lines long, so I am probably just going to read it. <laughs> uh, Malunus asks, have you guys been keeping up with IDW's Transformers ongoing, or at least the fandom's reactions to it? Among the fans I follow on Twitter, it seems like the previous ongoing story came up every time a new issue was released, but I've never actually seen the current ongoing come up on my timeline outside of vague comments about the first issue or two. What's the vibe with this series? Is it worth checking out currently? Um, Aaron, have you been keeping up with IDW2 very much? I am miles behind because I've not gotten to my comic shop in six months. I think that that is entering into the equation about 20% for a lot of folks. Uh, also, uh, like this is not a judgment. It's just, I think this is the reality. Another huge percentage is I think a lot of people just uh, loved the previous IDW, and that is very much coloring any enjoyment that one might have of the, the new IDW stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. That is not to say that I think all criticisms are coming from that's not my dad syndrome, but I do think that that is still present to some degree, uh, yeah. as far as folks just not even wanting to go and engage with it. Uh, I'm just and and it's a thing that's rough when it is over one of those those just border changes of you're going to have a lot of people that have that reaction and yeah. Like, and you can't push nothing. You can't push folks into go, like yeah. you know. No, you should read it because trust me, I've been trying because I think it's very good. <laughs> but I'm I'm keeping it you know to a certain degree. Like I, I I'm trying to talk about it now and then on Twitter because I I am really liking IDW two. I think it absolutely has a slow start, uh, and I, I have said this many times. A lot of its slowness also was for the sake of very dry world building, which is exactly my kind of stuff. So they are they are being slow doing a thing I like. So whilst, you know, in a more, I guess, objective sense, one can say that's that is, you know, a downside of especially the first year. 
it was also a downside doing a thing I like, so I really enjoyed it. And I think at this point, they are well out of that plotting pace. Uh, I've been really enjoying the last few months because now we are in the part of this story where uh, the Decepticons are arising and Megatron's making his power play. And the thing I really like about this book is not only that they decided to start, uh, you know, well before any kind of major war is happening, uh, but number one... A war did happen, which informs the state of this world uh, as we have entered into it, where there's absolutely no war happening. And in fact, nobody even has died for centuries uh, because some really awful war happened. And we get little snippets of that war constantly, like in a recent issue. Uh, this uh, Wheeljack and the science team are trying to save one of the Energon, like the big Energon satellite. They're going through this ring of golden particles and that ring of golden particles was a compromised titan from the one really awful war that happened. And all that we know is a titan got compromised and they had to quote-unquote shatter it. And that titan is now a ring of indestructible particles floating around a sun that can slice your ship to ribbons if you go through it. Uh, yeah. There's cool stuff in that book. And, and also, I am just really enjoying... Uh, how much character work is going on? Like that Wheeljack story was great, um, and and I, I I am really happy that the fact that they inevitably have to get to a point right where we go into Optimus versus Megatron, Autobots versus Decepticons. They are taking as much time as possible to get there, and I love it. I, in fact, never want this continuity to go to Earth. I would like it if it takes five years for the arc to launch in this continuity. I am so fine with that because. They are making the story of of the Transformers in IDW2 be, like, the entire overarching story is what is usually delivered as a two-issue prologue in almost any other continuity, at best. Uh, and I, I really like it. Uh, I, I like this version of Megatron. He is a, he is a scum politician who is a massive narcissist who has convinced himself he's right. Uh, and I like that take on Megatron. He's not like a super villain. Uh, IDW1's Megatron, who eventually became a very solid character. Part of the reason why that character was taken so well, in my opinion, is because IDW Megatron was literally a nothing that was a representative of the plot's intent for like six plus years before James Roberts got a hold of him. So it's nice that like we're in a, in a continuity where there is a solid world-building, character-driven grounding on issue one, for better and for worse. Uh, and it, it's it's gotten me really just into it. I, I'm also very attached to a lot of the characters because, for really cool story reasons, uh, in my opinion, no one's died in a long time. And so as a result, even though there are some very powerful characters showing up, it's difficult for a Transformer to die in IDW2, which I like. There's, I, I kind of like that there is a, a higher level of durability because <laughs> it just means you yeah. can have intense sequences. You can have people get really messed up or like thrown through a wall, but like you don't have to worry about whether or not a character you got attached to also just died uh, because they got thrown through a wall. Um, so I, I don't want to go too much deeper into it because it'll get like into just like straight up me just narrating spoilers. But I am really liking IDW2. Uh, if one's going to say, well, is it better than IDW1? I'd say, well, no, it's different. IDW1 is probably, between its fans' energy and the fact that it's done, it is probably a stronger thing to just go read in one big block. But IDW2, I am really enjoying, and I hope it gets to go on for a long time. And I also hope that it never gets to the arc launching. 
I hope that the <laughs> launch of the arc is the end of the continuity in like five years. Uh, I, I, man, I, there's a lot about it I'm enjoying. So there, there's our uh, our little talk about that. Next question comes from Arufonsa, uh, who says, Good day to the podcast even team. Hope this finds you all safe and in good spirits. A lot of folks, I should say, in these questions we've received over the, over the years, have a lot of the questions involve a lot of well wishes. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that, especially as it turns out, I at least really needed to hear a lot of those things because uh, this year has affected me in exponentially more than I thought it would. Uh, so thank you all for the kind words, even if you didn't know I needed them at the time. Um, so uh, out of- right, oh. I'll, I'll second that here real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, Basically, Alfonso is, is thanking us for, you know, the work that us and other, other creators are doing during, you know, this year. Uh, so basically, um, Alfonso has decided to rewatch all the Transformers during the lockdown and do a blog reviewing every episode, uh, starting from G1 going up to the Netflix series. And, uh, cause you know, what's a great thing to do during lockdown, um, is, is have a thing to do a hundred percent. Uh, but Alfonso says, I have noticed a serious problem throughout Transformers media, and it's that they don't know how to do redemption arcs right. From Octane stealing Blitzwing's story arc, the face turn of Six Shot after brutally murdering Optima- Ultra Magnus, uh, Opti Magnus, wow, uh, Black Arachnia's problematic romance subplot, and IDW trying to redeem Space Hitler Megatron, it just doesn't seem like they ever quite cracked the code on how to do redemption arcs. Uh, Energon Demolisher, uh, can fit this category as well. Um, so, what examples do we think Transformers can learn from as far as redemption arcs? Arafonsa says, uh, Dinobot I'm going to exclude as he defects in the first five minutes of the show and doesn't quite fit the formula of a proper heel to face turn. Yes, absolutely. I would, if one were to say his redemption arc existed, I would say like, I, I, yeah, I agree with this. He doesn't have one. Um, apparently, uh, lots of people like to cite Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender, which I haven't seen. Um, what? Um, what was that that you said, Son of Okay? I haven't seen the Avatar the last... There's too much of it. It's too much, so I haven't seen no, it. No, d- dude, dude. You've got wacko hours. Just, just too much of yourself. it. Just, no, there's not. There's not enough of it. There's like 400 seasons of it. No, there's more of it than there is One Piece. There's, there's three <laughs> seasons of <laughs> Avatar the Last Airbender, and then there's four of Korra. 40 seasons that's, that's seven of Avatar total. The Last Airbender. There are th- and there's not a movie. There are 830 episodes. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. It just always comes... Every time I look at it and I think about now's the time I'm going to watch this, I'm like, oh, there's so much. Um, I'll, you, just, I also, you just start with the first one, man. I haven't watched fiction in like two months. I just haven't really been feeling it. <laughs> I've just been watching streamers. That's been kind of where my vibe is. Uh, okay. I do want to watch it. But, <clears throat> not to belager the point, um, when has media really done stellar work in helping you grow to care for a person you once rightfully despised? And has Transformers done this? And have I just utterly missed it? Asks Arufonsa. Uh, I, I feel like there have been decent uh, character turns, but also I can't think of them right now. Uh, I haven't read it in like a decade. I feel like, well, no, I was gonna say G One Scorponok in the Marvel comics had a character turn, but I don't know if it was any better than IDW's version 
of Megatron having a character turn. IDW's was was all right. It's just the thing I mentioned before, I think, really is the crux of, of not being able to get into that Megatron, is that that if that Megatron started to exist, like, in 2011, that's a, it's a really cool story arc. You kind of have to ignore 2005 to 2010 for that Megatron to make a mm-hmm. lot of sense. Uh, and those five years, Megatron, I don't think ever really made a lot of sense. I had that criticism of him before, uh, the, the phase two era even started. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Redemption arcs are interest are also, they're interesting and they're complicated because it's, it's hard to do, a, I think a good one, uh, in, in episodic media because often it ends up being either telegraphed or such a swerve that it's hard to reconcile with, with yeah. a lot of stuff you've seen before. It's very plus, hard to plus do when it comes smoothly. to like episodic TV, you have to be totally bought into this is like an arc from beginning to end. And, and you know, it's, it's really hard to have the, the, the antagonist, halfway through season two be like maybe i should change my ways and have something compelling in there if you're at all trying to be episodic and if then if you're gonna lock yourself into hey this is a this is in reality you know yeah it's 18 episodes but in reality it's like a, a nine hour eight hour long movie type of thing like that that there's a balancing act that has to happen in there. I, I also think there's a there's a when it comes to to a character switch like that. There's also a weird sort of disassociation you have to get into because when the show is very good and you love the characters, it's it's easy to start uh, judging their actions in terms of actual reality where there are actual consequences for what they you know have been doing, and in a fictional setting. I feel like that eventually, especially in a, you know, like a, you know, a fictional setting that is that is very fantastical to a degree. Eventually, there is a point of like having to detach from the notion of those consequences. Because, for instance, like another 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 um, redemption story I always kind of liked was in Star Wars Rebels with uh, what's his name, Agent Callus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very easy to criticize that one as also being a little bit out of nowhere because you know Imperial. Uh, officers or anyone in the in in the empire uh, at, at his level in the chain of command has probably invariably done horrifying things. Um, oh, totally. And so, a redemption arc for a character like that, to like in real life, in real life, if there was an empire who did horrifying things and one of them, you know, came around on something in real life, I I feel like you say, well, it's good that you're not murdering folks anymore that doesn't excuse anything you've done don't ever expect any kind of charity from any of us you you know former murderer so in fiction there is a certain level of disconnect where it's like for the sake of the dramatis uh you're you're sort of thinking more about this character as like someone that you're viewing and you want to like and and then eventually that swings around into having to to in some cases, try to justify their previous actions when it's like you don't have to justify their previous actions necessarily. When you're watching the media, it's more does the media force you to question those previous actions actively? IDW Megatron, if you read from 05 through to, you know, 2017, uh, 
there are many times where you can say, well, I just read in All Hail Megatron this, this, and this, and this just doesn't seem to really jive with this, this, and this, unless I, you know, blur out some stuff. Uh, as opposed to with, with Agent Callus, him doing horrifying things, I think to a certain point, is like me making a, an educated assumption as to what a character in that situation would have been doing as part of their duties, as opposed to what the media itself fully presents me with. I don't know. Redemption arcs are, are always interesting, but also sometimes frustrating to assess, because when I talk about this line between fiction and nonfiction, it is just as easy to use that exact same wording to kind of hand wave hacky writing, too. So I think a lot of it comes down to how it lands on you, the viewer, individually. Um, and at a certain point, it's kind of like whether or not you can get over what a character did or not, and that it's not really your problem to get over it. You know, it's <laughs> like if, if, if a character turn like that just doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And I, I don't think anyone mm-hmm. should should really feel like they got to like tell you like, well, morally, it's fine. Because then at a certain point, you're like walking this terrifyingly thin line of trying to justify someone who is a member of the of the empire and then juxtaposing that with well if the empire was real and they did this you're like okay then that means in real life that a galaxy spanning empire was like mass murdering planets of sapient life so you gotta (laughs) yeah it's it's complicated but uh yeah i i truly i because of that i can't often and also probably from fatigue from this week but i i can't immediately think of uh a good example for this. That's one I would also, I would tentatively open up to the listeners, but also like everyone keep chill as well. Cause that kind of stuff can get real heated. Um, second question from out of is, is a lot more straightforward. It's, uh, what was the first transformer? I understand that Sunstreaker was the oldest mo- mold used in the Transformers line, and the Scramble City guys were going to be uh, part of Diaclone or Microchange um, until everything was folded up under Transformers. But what was the first figure made that was, first and foremost, a Transformers brand Transformer? Once again, it's entirely possible. I have missed some common knowledge everybody knows, but I'm curious if you sages of the fandom can help me settle this troublesome question in my mind. Uh, thanks uh, again for the hard work, Richet and Clink. Uh, so off the top of my head, I would say anything from the 86 movie oriented stuff off the top of my head there's a good chance there are like a couple like specific examples before that that I'm forgetting but like broad strokes characters like Hot Rod and Cup I'm pretty sure were designed as Transformers first and foremost yeah it, it, that that would have to be it that 86 line because I know that all of 84 was stuff that was like pulled together. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we're ignoring the decoys. I'll just say right right now. We're <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, we're if you're talking Transformers as Transformers. Um, see the ninety. I found the nineteen eighty five toy catalog. I'm just thinking <sighs> it's if something all more slipped the in same there. Jump starters. Um. The Dvorak guys are in there. Blaster, who actually was an AM-FM radio player in the original, original version of that mold that they just gutted it all out for. There it's were some toys. 80, there were some toys there. It's got to be 86. But, yeah, I think 86, like like some figures in 84 or 85, maybe 84. I think there were some that slipped in here and there that like didn't really show up anywhere else, but had been designed with the intent of being in other lines. But I believe 86 is where the figures that were designed with the intent of being Transformers first popped up. 
And even then, I think there's sort of a little bit of scatter here and there as to whether or not some of them were... Maybe, I guess the... Okay, so would you count the cone heads? The, the, The wing molds, maybe... If we're if we just talk about the new wings on them, maybe because yeah, looking at the looking at the Decepticon side of the eighty five toy catalog. Uh, well, no, I found, no, I'm going to say no because it's just the wings that are new, and even if those yeah. winglets were made, like those could have been around for Diaclone and just not used. I, I don't know the history of those off the top of my head, but the body of that figure came out in, a, in another line. It was designed for another line. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you want to get real like technical, maybe the winglets on the cone heads, but otherwise, I'm pretty sure like the '86 stuff. Yeah, it it'd be the '86 movie stuff. Um, would be. Makes me want to look at pictures now too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I'm I'm just trying to think. I, I'm like they're I, I'm saying it mostly so that someone doesn't come in like with the whole like you know walking in with a swagger because they did a gotcha, but. I'm pretty sure, for the most part, because they're like I think there were. Oh, did both triple changers come out in micro change or not? I can't. They were all designed in that time frame. Yeah, they, they were designed for it. Is the thing. Yeah. Um. The yeah. I mean, these were all designed for other lines. Yeah, they 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 were if not designed for other lines, they they were from other lines or they were designed for other lines. Even in '86, like some of some of the combiners, if I remember the history right, some of the Scramble City combiners like weren't even designed for Transformers necessarily. And then as stuff went on, or no, no, I'm thinking I'm thinking of Raiden. Never mind. Um, well, it, it's the same year. '86 is still the same year as the '86 movie characters. The only thing I'm thinking about. Oh no, 85 was the Constructicons. Never mind. Yeah. 86 is when all the Scramble City stuff came out. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think it's 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 chunks of 86. Not all of 86, just chunks of it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, ju- I just found Unicron.com and went, yeah, duh, I should have been looking there. Yeah, 84 is all Diaclone Micro Change. 85, maybe, I, no, hmm. There's Happy Meal toys. I'm trying to see if those are. I mean, Happy I Meal toys. Do those count? If we if someone is if someone wants if to be super really clever, wanted to stretch it, then you could say yes. The Happy Meal toys were the first, I guess. Although, I mean, I would I would then go on to say how much do they look like Transformers? Transformers as opposed to transforming toys. Like, like, were they designed with the ethos of Transformers TM the brand, as opposed to it's a toy that has no, two modes? It's 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 a plastic toy thing that vaguely looks like the mini car, and doesn't even transform. Yeah, like I, I think the intent of a question like this is is probably more so something like, you know, the eighty six yeah, characters. They were meant to be Transformers I, I'd characters. Say, yeah, the 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 movie characters. Um. Would probably be, would probably be it because I'm pretty sure the triple changes were all pre, maybe like the battle chargers, runabout runamuck, maybe. I don't know the history Predica- of those too well. That could be Predacons, maybe. Those are eighty six. Those are eighty six. Right, but they're combiners. So I was was quasi lumping with um, Scramble City. Well, Scramble City was Skylinks. also eighty six. 
So like, we're... well, right, but but the Scramble City combiners, we know that some of that lineage is older. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think Scramble City came out under another line, but I think it's a, the original idea, or some of the yeah. figures in that were designed with the idea of being in another line, and then Abominus and Computron were designed to be Transformers first, but using that setup. Yeah, but yeah, I would say it's probably your. Your Blur Hot Rod Cup. I'm looking at the the '86 toy catalog now. Um, Metroplex. Um, Metroplex. I'd Rodimus like to know Prime. the history on a bit more. That's another one where I'm I'm wondering yeah. whether he was designed Transformers or whether he was in a a thing that was carried over when more of the Minibots were carried over. Like was he Koro Q or whatever? Yeah, maybe that'd be some deep knowledge. And then, yeah, Predacons, Galvatron, Sharkticon. Those are clearly movie. Yeah. I don't know about the Battle Chargers. The Battle Chargers are just twin twist top spinny enough that I could see that being some other thing that was sitting to the side. Like, were they a half designed thing after yeah. twin twist and top spin in their original line? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Scourge and Cyclonus. Yeah. That's a bunch of jet that's jets, yeah. Well, I hope that answered most of the question. Uh thank you for that question and the kind words, uh, out of Fonza. We got one more here uh for this episode, which is from Starscream0625, who says, Greetings, Vangelis and the eternally entertaining podcast gang. Man, are we lucky this podcast is still going strong. I've been interning this summer from home doing lots of dry research, and y'all have been a godsend keeping me motivated. Of course, I've been a listener for nearly ten years now. Hope that you're well, despite all that's going on in the world. We are doing our best. Uh I think after you sent this question in is when I started to really dip into not doing great, but I'm still trying, and that's the important thing. Uh that's kind of been my response, by the way, whenever people are like, so you guys thinking maybe you're just not going to keep up with it or whatever? I'm like, hey, even if we're a couple months off, the way my brain works is just we're going to keep doing it. And if we're slow or slow, whatever, I still want to keep doing it. Uh, I'm dogged. Uh, so the question yeah. is, uh, how do you go about opening your Transformers figures? How many do you open at once? Do you open older or newer acquisitions first? How long until you put a figure on a shelf and move on to another? Take care and thanks in advance. Uh, Starscream 0625. At first I thought it was like, how do you open the packaging? And I was be like, well, once upon a time, there would have been knives. There would have been careful slicing of things. Nowadays, it's just, it's just destruction. It's just <laughs> Uh, well, we don't get nearly as much carded stuff as we used to. True, true. I don't get to destroy that much because it's all, it's actually simpler to just knife tape and pull the thing out. Yeah. Uh, I do use clippers on the, the plastic twisty things sometimes. Sometimes, though, I just pull the toy out. And if I got to, like, kind of mush the tray around a bunch, I'll do it. Cause it's a bunch of bother chasing after half plastic twist tie things if you cut them. And sometimes I can just mm-hmm. pull the figure out. Um, what I found myself doing is, since all since most of them now have some sort of cardboard back to it with the plastic, pull the two of them out together and then clippers on any plastic thing you can see, and then you don't have all the little plastic shards. Oh, yeah, everywhere. yeah. When, when it's all nice and lined up like that, I'll... Or if I can just put something underneath and I'm just like, whatever, I'm trimming all this. Like, if I'm, if I'm over at my desk... Uh, 
where I got my lights and stuff. I also have a really nice surf- surface to just like let all that rain onto. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the the other parts of this though, how many do you open at once? That's actually kind of it. Kind of varies. Like all of this stuff. Myself, usually I try to open figures close to when I get them. Although I have a few unopened ones because I also like to film packaging for my purposes. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, usually I try to open all of them at once as soon as possible in part. So I know whether or not anything is busted or needs replacing, which is not, not very common. It's just like, I don't like to leave stuff waiting. Cause especially if it's something that I ordered from an online retailer, you kind of got to get to them sooner than later about like, if a piece is missing. Uh, so I, I kind of go through and process that. Although some, like, if it's mainline transformers, I guess I'm less worried about that. Uh, and then I, I will tend to open like, like the older first, I guess like, you know, first in first opened kind of thing. Um, Aaron, what, do you have any process you can think of for that? Even like a subconscious one? Like do you just, um, lately it's been, you know, because it's been a lot less that I've been getting in. It's kind of been, um, open it when I get it. Um, I may hold off for like a day or two. Like, if I'm just not feeling it, I'm not going to crack a toy open when I'm already deep into the blahs. Yeah. To have it only, like, bring me up to a, eh, not even a meh, but like a, eh. Like, if I'm at a, you know, I'm doing okay, I'll crack it open to to, to get the extra hit on top of it. Um, hmm. And that's kind of about it. Um, it, it also depends a, on the figure, I think. Like, for instance, yeah. like, like Hothouse and Bug Bite... They kind of chilled. I got home after a long walk with them, and it wasn't until the next evening I opened them up because I wasn't in a super rush. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I know what they are. So it's more so like when I just get that itch of like, I want to open a thing. Then I did it the next evening. Also, because yeah. I still wanted to open them within a few days because I'm like, yeah, if like Hothouse's arm is missing, then I got to know that sooner than later so I can sort out a return. But, you know, he wasn't. It was all there. Um but I, I get you, though, on, like, the feeling. Like, because for me, usually opening a new figure up is enough of an endorphin thing to, like, pull me out of a real, like, low. But it does have yeah. to be the right feeling. Like, if it's, you know, if it's a couple redecos right, like, I got. And... Yeah. And it's also, like, you know, you know, I, I've got to be in the right mood, kind of, to want to, to okay, I want to open up a toy and play with it. I, wa- I, wa- I have to feel like I'm in, like, a good tactile experience mood if i'm just in a like like animaniacs is on hulu now the last two or three days after i've gotten done with my let's work extra hours through thanksgiving so that we're not as far behind after thanksgiving nonsense like if i got a new toy right now it'd still be in a box just waiting because i don't have the energy to like here, I want to crack this open and play with a new toy, and, and it sucks and there to, and to it crack out. open a figure and, when you're not feeling it. Like like when yeah. opening a figure is a task to finish, as opposed to like, oh, I'm kind of excited to see what this new thing is. And it's like it's not fair to the figure or yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, to that degree, like uh, I'll just go back to the question: How many do you open at once? That's also why I try to like open a figure and mess with it for at least you know like ten or fifteen before I open another one. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to like open everything and then lay it all out and then start messing with it. Cause I'm like, at a certain point, some of these are going to be neglected in the initial experience. If I do it this way. Right. 
Um, so I like to try to give everything a, just, you know, equal time. Also, if I think a figure's going to be less interesting than the others, I'll try to open that one first. Uh, if I have like three new figures and one of them is incredibly exciting and I open that one first, the other two are going to just suffer as experiences. So I'm like, it kind of builds up the interesting one as well. You know, if I, if I go in that order, um, I guess that's a thing I do consciously or subconsciously. Uh, what about, what about taking a figure away onto a shelf? Like, I guess this is if you have, if you do the shelf thing, I don't really do the shelf thing for transformers all that much. I don't really do the shelf thing either. It is now, uh, it comes to the desk for when we're talking about podcasts. A few of them continue to live on on the desk because they're good fiddle formers. Um, or they may hang out, uh, by my, by my, uh, chair in the living room for fiddling with watching Animaniacs again. Um, after that, they go to kind of the floor by my desk and then they go into bags that go into bins. Yeah, I, I I should be so much better about displaying so many of the awesome things that I have, but at this point, I just need a different house that I could set up some of the like go and spend two paychecks at IKEA to get a bunch of nice display shelves or cabinets and set things up so that I can go and be like, you know what, I really have a Jones and for some headmasters and go mess with headmasters, not try and. Remember which flipping bin they're in. So I, I have I have nicely organized stackable storage bins, uh, but for me it's like it's like they live at a desk for a bit, and then they will live over at the at the lighted the light the lighted lit table for a bit, and they might live you know on a shelf, just not like a display shelf, just like on a shelf ledge for a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then usually if I if I go to like put them into the into the carefully organized designated storage bin, when I open up the bin, I'll be like, oh, hey, I haven't messed with this one for a bit. Pull them out, take them to the desk. Um, so I don't really have a process for that stuff. It's just more like, I want to mess with this. And if something's really fun to mess with, I'm like, I'm going to mess with this for a while. And then occasionally you have a figure that sort of lives at the desk in perpetuity, like some of my new age Datsuns have kind of just lived on my desk in perpetuity because they're so small I can forget they're there for a few months. And then, and then I glance and I'm like, oh, hey, tiny barricade, you know, blow some dust off them, uh, mess with them some more. Um, so that's, that's my, that's my process. I know there's people who have very kind of flow charted paths for their figures to live in. It's just not really how my brain works though. Um, I've noticed that mm-hmm. with, with my, my new collecting habit of board games this year, that it's actually kind of similar is like, I like to pop them open and mess with them. And then every now and then I'll look at one and I'm like, Hey, I want to mess with that one. And I'll mess with it a whole bunch. Uh, I e play it. Um, but I, like, I, I'd like to put, like, I'd like to put all my games I got this year onto a, into a bookshelf slot, uh, for, for organization's sake. But like, it's not like I need them to like look nice in there. Cause I just want them to be there so I can pull them out and mess with them some more. And for me, figures are kind of the same thing. Um, <clears throat> even the collectory ones. That's why I just moved away from stuff like hot toys. That is not really designed to survive being messed with in perpetuity. Um, but I hope that answered your question. Uh, Starscream 065. Aaron, uh, speaking of board games, that's off topic, which is our final segment for this episode. What else we got this week? I E off topic, Aaron, uh, you do any off topic stuff this week? Um, well, it was more than a week ago, but we had our, our, uh, isolation trip tennessee Mm -hmm. and uh we ended up um 
I'm, I'm going to say that the the really neat couple of trips that we made to uh, old forts, old Civil War era forts and the like, um, was, was great. Part of the national park system was uh, nice nice to go see those things and get to come back with the little tiny brochures all Woo. about the park. It was the the one specifically was Fort Donaldson, which is was a uh, um. Like a uh, uh, ironclad versus um, like land battery engagement, and it was where General Grant became unconditional surrender. Grant, because <laughs> it was well, it was really funny because the uh, um, the part of the the there were three Confederate generals that were there when Grant made it pretty clear that he was going to win. And the first general was, I'm far too important. Uh, I can't be captured. Slips away in the night. The next general down was like, you know, I've got my my like personal brigade. I think we can make it out of here. I'm a split. And then it was like, the third tier down guy was like, well, fine. Screw it. I'll be the one. I knew Grant. We went to the military academy together. Surely he'll be cool. And he gave terms to Grant. And Grant was like, nope. <laughs> well, well, that's not nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's war. We're done, right? <laughs> I'm learning things here as well, because that's not my country. Yeah. So th- that was never part of yeah. my education. <laughs> yeah. At least I don't but think it was. That was, that was. It was. It was nice to go and uh, and you know more so that whole trip was man a whole lot of memories because I hadn't been to there in like twenty years and in the process of while we were down there, it actually did get sold, which they'd been like the family trust I guess had been trying to sell it for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So it was when it was suddenly like oh hey. By the way, here's a list of stuff we'd really appreciate if you could bring back with you. Um, just because it's sold now, I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess you you can't ever really go back to your childhood, can you?" Time to crap in every single bed before uh, I leave. No, one of the toilets did break while we were there, which was not cool. Somebody but, else's problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was ours because it was the first day and it just kept running. Oh. And so I got to I got to to do some friggin' home repair on a home that's not even not even remotely mine now. You should leave a bill um, <laughs> on the toilet. Yeah. Um, hey, but you gonna, no, it was you gonna, it was ultimately a, a really good trip. Um, you gonna, you gonna scrapbook some of those brochures? Um, Alfie has them, and she took. Um, took uh, Polaroid and Instax photos, and I think she was thinking about doing some stuff with it. Nice. And we did get one really cool thing. So, with my grandparents, every time somebody visited, like, on the last day, they would get a Polaroid of it and put it on the fridge. And you could see the fridge that was still there. They'd taken all the photos down, and, like, we just had another friggin boot box full of photos to take with us but you could still see on the fridge like the grid line of where they had always been nice and so on our last day we had a polaroid camera and the guy that like was the family friend that lived down the road was coming by hey is there anything else that needs done with everything and was like oh can you get a couple photos of us 
So then with the box of stuff took back to grandma, um, we were like, and we got this too and handed her that photo and like grandma started losing it. So then I started losing it. And then Kristen, not really understanding like all the other weight of stuff that was going on, she kind of lost it a little bit. So it was three of us just sitting there. No, it's yeah, it's uh, suddenly really um, dusty in here, isn't it? I just, just kind of hug someone. Not gonna lie, the way that this start, this little story started, I thought the uh-huh. I thought the payoff was gonna be. So we took the fridge door with us. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was gonna say, you know what? I respect the sentimentality, but it did not take that turn. That's still cool. That's still no. cool. No, there, there was a very large, like six foot long painting that we had to get back, which thankfully we have a CRV and we could put like seats down, okay, and everything. But it definitely was like a case of like active Tetris in order to now have this very large, <laughs> oddly shaped block to fit in there and. Like, Romo on the trip down had his own seat in the back, and <clears throat> it ended up having to be, like, on top of... And we ended up stopping at a Nike surplus store on the way down, and somebody bought, like, four pairs of shoes. Um, that's not me. Um, so he ended up having, like... Romo needs a those, lot of shoes. Yeah. So he ended up having, like, those four boxes, and then his dog bed on top of those four boxes. That <laughs> um, was some creative rearrangement there. And then what was the other thing? We ended up going to a distillery uh, nearby that was a pre-prohibition distillery that at its peak, it was outselling um, Jack Daniels like seven to one (laughs) pre-prohibition. And then the prohibition happened and they basically went out of business. And the, the story of the place was... Um, like there was, there was the family legend about the great great grandparents that were in the, that were in the alcohol business. But it's you know it's Tennessee. Everybody had a backyard still, and you know so you know it's always that oh yeah the the great grandparents were rogues or whatever you know that sort of story. And then it was like uh, these two brothers were they had gone back to do something for their grandparents like some deal with their grandparents and their car ended up breaking down outside of town and so like while they were waiting for AAA to show up they saw one of those like historic like those big cast iron historic signs along the roadside that was like the old our family name distillery uh, Greenbrier uh, Nelson's Greenbrier distillery whatever and it was like Charles Green or Charles Nelson proprietor had blah 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 all the stuff and one of the two brothers was like Charles and he's like huh that's exactly my name what's the deal with this goes finally get to the grandparents and the grandparents tell oh yeah you know grandma and granddad had this deal blah 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 and so you're like huh this is interesting I want to go learn more and so they ended up going like to the like to that county's historical association and said hey what's the deal with this and they <laughs> in in the guy's words were like about time you showed up so they ended up like proving like hey i'm this guy's grandkid and this is that grandkid and then they, they like 
they opened up this just cornucopia of information about this distillery that used to be there and the fact that they're direct descendants thereof. They had like four bottles of the whiskey still sealed as part of the historical association. And then it was as they were going through the paperwork, like back in the day, if you were to buy, like I want to buy a bottle of whiskey back in the like late 1800s. What you would end up doing is somebody would go out and buy a barrel of whiskey. And then that barrel of whiskey would go to like your general store. And then you would buy a bottle out of that barrel. Mm-hmm. Well, I might go, or maybe, or you'd have potentially like traveling salesmen that would have a wagon full of a bunch of barrels of whiskey. And they'd have like, here's, here's what this whiskey tastes like. That's really good whiskey, right? Now you want to buy a you know, a bottle out of my barrel. Well, you know, bring your bottle by and I'll fill it up. Well, what ended up happening is I'd have like the bottle that was the real stuff. And then I might have watered down what was in the barrel or I might've, what was it? One that was like, there were people that would put, that would like spit tobacco chaw into it to get the right color. They, it was like nasty, nasty stuff. Yeah. But this guy was very specifically like, we'll sell whiskey barrels to people that want to buy barrels, but we'll also do it in clear glass bottles so you can see the product that you're getting, have a trademarked logo that was with the like patent and trade office, that this is our logo, this is our branding, like back in the late 1800s, early 1900s branding, and this is how we'll sell it. And that's how, how come they became such a big thing, because... You know, if you were buying whiskey from whoever, you don't know necessarily what you're going to get. But if you're buying the the Nelson's Greenbrier whiskey, you know exactly what you're going to get. And so, as part of that, they were like, here's our recipe. We published it in a newspaper. Here's step-by-step the inputs, the processes, the outputs. And so then these two brothers, like had gotten such a kick out of the history and everything, they ended up, like, restarting the brand. And so it was really interesting because some portion of the land had stayed in the family the whole time. Granted, it's not doing any of that stuff now. And (laughs) some business entity, like, was still alive in a lawyer's office. So... In the process of doing this, they, like, research how all of that happens. One of them was, I think it was, like, one of them was, like, a chemical engineer or something. And it was, like, well, making alcohol is just chemistry. And the other brother ended up, like, changing over to, like, a business degree. And so then they started all of this back up, started making things. And so in the process of doing everything, because of just the other things that had happened to happen... And the fact that enough of these, like, little tiny shreds of business ties still existed, they went to the state of Kentucky and said, hey, we are the legitimate continuation of Nelson's Greenbrier. Can we have, like, can we be recognized as such? And the state went, yeah, I don't see why not. Okay. So then their distillery number as the, like, national number that's given out anybody that becomes a distillery that sells stuff each location gets a new national number their number is like seven (laughs) 
Anheuser Busch makes a new place to make beer, it's in the like six digits. And they are seven. That's got to be part of the branding then, like the number seven. It, oh, it it very much is. Okay. So, so th- what they ended up doing was, so they had a couple of these bottles that were open that were just the bottles. So they, they ended up, like where the tech nerd in me got super excited, they ended up 3D scanning the bottle, recreating the bottle blank in order to... Sorry, I just I just got a notification there, number five, um, not number seven. Oh, I like the number five uh, somebody, more than seven. So, so, somebody's listening in now. Um, uh, so they ended up making a new bottle blank. So their bottles are the exact same dimensions of the bottle that the original bottles were. Minus on the bottom, they have a Tennessee logo that has the number five, thank you, um, on the bottom of it. The label, since that label was trademarked or copyrighted or whatever back in the day, they have that exact label that since they're the business continuation, they can use it. The only thing that they changed on it was instead of being just um, one name, it's both of their names, but shortened in that weird like 1900s way where it was like Charles is Chaz oh, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and and then um, they do to like they ha- they put like the what is it you have to have like the proof or whatever and the abv on the front label and then they have all the other all the other federally mandated stuff goes on a small label on the back of it Mm. but like if you took two of these bottles and set them next to each other they would look like oh this is rev a and this is rev b not like this is 100 years apart and then they were like well because we had everything else what goes in that bottle they're like has got to taste exactly the same as you know the old bottle did because we're doing the same processes with the same inputs in the same like locations so it's all going to be as identical as it can be so we ended up taking two of those bottles up full full of alcohol excellent and it's 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 a it's 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 a nice bourbon. That is the, of of the liquors uh, behind rum, bourbon, whiskey types are probably my mm-hmm. second favorite. Although I haven't really been doing much alcoholing of late, but I do have I do have um I forgot the name now. I have a fancy pants Canadian bourbon on my fridge. Um, that I've. Poked out once is or it twice. Stortilage? Sortilage? No, not Sortilige, whatever. It's the something collection. This is Canadian Club is not fancy. No, it's not Canadian Club. <laughs> uh there's always ads for it on my Instagram for some reason. Now which made me forget the name because I found it annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go over to my fridge to look at what it is, and it's too far away. It's in a different room. Um but it was it was it was a thing that I never thought like hey I'd go to a whiskey tour okay it's just like there were other people there because they did like a whole they did a flight of like four different whiskeys they had their mm-hmm. they had the bourbon no they had the Bellmead bourbon they had the whiskey then they had a whiskey that was aged in uh, sherry barrels I think that was a lot more subtle flavor and then they had this like coffee pecan liqueur that was like 
syrupy sweet like that'd be the the best way to like irish your coffees because it already was pretty coffee um but i i never i never thought that like hey that's a thing that i'd want to go do and then after the fact i was like hey if all of the tours had all of the neat stuff that went along with the story of this along the way that'd be cool i'd do more of those i mean I, I, i i i went to like a wine tour once with mom and it was very much just like we got vines and then alcohol woo, and it was like okay like i I did an ice wine tour once in niagara many many years ago at the you know the whatever dan Aykroyd vineyards or whatever Mm -hmm. ice wine is interesting mostly because i you learn things like that ice wine specifically the grapes have to be in this very specific window of temperature that is nearly impossible to maintain for more than a couple hours yeah. Um, for the sake of like how much they are bonded to the the sugar and etc. And so that was kind of neat. And and then the tasting part was almost like like to me and it, even if it was like a, a distillery, like the tasting part's almost the least interesting part because I'm like that's the thing I can do at home. Yeah. Even though obviously it's like they're giving you a a flight to sample or something. Like yes, obviously I don't have like a flight of whiskey at home, but it's like if the experience has that much history and is that interesting then like to me that that makes it sound way more worth it like the Dan Aykroyd thing is just on the cusp where I probably won't do it again because it was a little bit boring after I got over the chemistry part uh mm-hmm. but you know having a facility there seems like it would be way more interesting to to learn about well that also sounds like in general your isolation trip was a lot more eventful than perhaps it was expected to be so that's really cool yeah (laughs) i was i was very i was very much kind of ready for it to just be like we just stay there and like well part of it was we had intermittent even getting any sort of like cell service Mm -hmm. and there was like they had taken down even the like antenna for even just like basic like news so it was nice not being stuck in the whole just before the election nonsense Mm -hmm. that was going on you had a bunker to go to and yeah a little bit and unfortunately uh, it never ended i'm sorry aaron it's yeah Yeah, it's been another... No politics in the thread, by the way. Uh, three, three weeks or so, and somebody had to lose, I think, 21 times now well, in order to determine every, if they actually lost. Everyone found out that you guys were not there for it, so they decided to just like leave it running mm-hmm. until you got back. <laughs> what I'm saying, everybody, is it's because of Aaron. Just make sure you message him to thank him for yep. all the... I'm joking, by the way. Don't message Aaron about this. I don't think anyone wants to be messaged about this. Uh, I won't respond, but, you know, that's cool. <laughs> um, no politics in the thread. Um, but it, it was a nice way to get away and just kind of recharge the not dealing with work. Work has been, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, it's been, you know, a lot of, hey, there's this thing that you need to do at 730 in the morning. And, hey, there's this thing you need to do at six in the evening. And when you're doing work from home, it's really easy to just be like, fine, I'll get on early, fine, I'll stay on late, and then you realize that you've been at your computer for, like, 11 hours. It's no good. That's and actually bad. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, it is. It is bad. It is bad. I've, I've taken to just, like, getting up and, well, when the weather wasn't frigid, going for, like, a half-hour walk or something like that in the middle just to, like, get the wiggles out, and now it's just, yeah. like, I'll just go and, like, 
watch half an episode of like Farscape or something in the living room and then come back to just to be like, okay, well, there's eight emails to catch up on because I was away from the computer for just long enough to reset some sanity. Gee, thanks. Yeah, I've been I've been having my own my my one of my intended ways to avoid that has been panning out, which I'll talk about in a bit. Uh, and it's been very helpful. It's also been mean I've been kind of disengaging from the planet for a couple hours at a time. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's very refreshing. Um, even though I wish I had a nicer table to work with, I, I that's my own problem to sort out. But before I get there, um, Aaron, I have I have an off-topic toy to talk about. It's very exciting. Okay. I fin- yeah, I guess mine wasn't really toy. It was just experience. That's that's more life. You know, that's that's also valuable. That's all, and it, you have brochures. Those are collectible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to I want to throw it out there that I got GI Joe Classified Cobra Commander the regular version, and my whole plan for GI Joe Classified is to only ever collect Cobra Commander and Destro, um, maybe some other ones, but. Of everything they've ever announced, that's all I want is Cobra Commanders and Destros. Uh, so now I'm done with Cobra Commanders, and I'm just waiting to see if my order for uh, Money Man Destro at EB Games actually pans out. But uh, regular Cobra Commander is very good. Um, it's interesting to see the bits that he has that the Cloth Cape SDCC version did, or PulseCon version did not have. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I picked him up. I think that he's a very good Cobra Commander design. Um, recently they announced like a retro Cobra Commander. Who, uh, I think, I think it's foreign scale who just looks like an old Cobra Commander with joints. And I could not have possibly yawned harder. Granted, I also was coming off of sleep deprivation at the time, but it uh, did not help uh, that he was also just 80s Cobra Commander. Man, Cobra Commander with, like, a modern redesign always ends up being so much more exciting to me. Uh, So the one for Classified, that is a good design. I like it a lot. Um, But yeah, Aaron, I have been playing a lot of board games by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a few more. I've been buying too many of them, I should say. But I, I've now gotten into the habit of trying... Uh, the last couple games I bought, I played them the same day I cut the shrink wrap and punched out the components. And I was very proud of myself for doing that. I, I don't like... I realized the, the idea of games sitting around not having been played yet because I'm like, oh, I don't know if I have it in me to, to play through this one. is very irritating. So... For example, this is the one I've been really jamming on lately. Uh, right before lockdown, I sensed in the wind lockdown was going to happen, so I went for a big mega walk, and I went by Meeple Mart, which is it's basically a, a two- to three-hour walk, walking over to Meeple Mart and back. Uh, and I picked up Nemo's War uh, by Victory Point Games. Nemo's War, is, it's, it's 100% 20,000 leagues under the sea, Captain Nemo. Uh, okay. And basically... It's it, the the way it's laid out is the board looks almost like the console of the Nautilus in that it's like it's a map and there's like some notes on either side and etc. And basically you have the ocean in front of you in in segments. You, you're in the Nautilus, you're traveling the ocean, uh, and there are lots of uh, imperialist ships popping up everywhere and. Uh, you pick a motive. There are the game. The base game comes with four motives, and one of the micro expansions has another two. And they just launched a Kickstarter for the final expansion, which is expansions four through eleven. Uh, which my edition of the game, the square box version, the plastic insert was planned around all eleven expansions. So I'm kind of excited about that. Basically, I got a really good game, and then they announced the final patch for it with all the gubbins 
right after I really fell in love with it. So I, I pledged for that one already. But uh, you pick a motive, and then the motive dictates uh, your different scoring modifiers at the end of the game. So it kind of dictates the way that you play. But even when you're just a simple explorer, Captain Nemo, you're still sinking a lot of ships. <laughs> so you, you're going around in the Nautilus, sinking primarily British ships, because the British, this takes place in 1870, uh, mm-hmm. and they're they're in a lot of the oceans. So uh, there's a lot of ways, it's a very hard game. Uh, there's a lot of ways to lose. One of them is if the ocean fills up with imperialist ships. See, so even if you're kind of, if you don't, if you don't have a warlike tendency in your motive, you still want to sink a bunch of ships. But basically, you are going around collecting treasure, going on adventures, sinking ships, trying to not go mad. Uh, you have like three, you have three resource bars, and if any, if one of them runs out, that's another lose condition. And one of the resource bars is just Nemo, and it's basically him getting real worn down. Uh, by being Captain Nemo, uh, and it, it's it's a very narrative driven game, but with really solid mechanics. Uh, it's a lot of dice rolling, but like half the mechanics are about dice roll mitigation and and modifying the roll. So it's not like a super random dice chucker. It, it's really thoughtful, uh, and the way the, the the engine of the game is there's a deck of like seventy some adventure cards. And then there's 10 finales. So you pick a finale at random. Don't see what it is. Uh, you shuffle that together with four adventure cards. Then you take the rising action, shuffle that with another like eight adventure cards, and then put the act three card on top. So you're basically building a three act story with rising action right before the finale. And depending on your motive, that sort of dictates the pace or the ratio of how, of how and where the acts appear. And so it, it has this very, narrative sense to it even if you don't care about narrative narrative is what's driving the entire experience uh and it's it's i love it it's so nice uh and it's also like about a two-hour play and and then even if you're like if you're learning it at another 40 minutes or so and i've only played it twice and i really love it and it's the kind of game i could just set up and play i think uh whenever i want to just take two hours and do something for the sake of my brain um, and I said, I think I said this on here even before. One of the nice things about getting into these solo board games and, and Nemo's War is built for solo from the ground up. Like it has a co-op mode in it. Okay. And the new expansion adds a competitive mode that I'm curious about, but it is primarily meant for one person to play. It's a way to get gaming in without looking at a monitor that I am looking at all the time right now. And it's, yeah. it's really nice for my brain and my eyes. Um, so Nemo's War is the game I just recently picked up, but like, boy, I got like I I got a pre-order that came in for Raiders of Scythia. These Garfield games, games Raiders of Scythia and Viscounts of the West Kingdom both came in, and I played them both immediately. And boy, they're good. They are really good. <laughs> the solo modes are so slick. Uh, and then like I I've also been trying to play at le- every week at least one game that I haven't played yet. So like today I played two games i played sovereign skies which is like a small uh diplomatic rondel game where you're it's sci-fi and you're uh you're trying to collect influence and and and, uh win the favor of alien diplomats and set up bases on planets uh it's okay uh i think it probably plays better with people the solo mode i still want to play a bit more because it also stomped me but it, it also, I didn't feel like it was as flowy and organic as some of the better ones I've played. And then I also played Warp's Edge, 
which is a, a solo-only game, which is super fun. It's a bag builder. So you got a bag of tokens, and you're drawing out of your bag of tokens every turn, and then you're getting new tokens, and you're a spaceship, and you're, it's, it's a video game. You're, you're a spaceship. You're fighting smaller ships that are lined up in front of a boss. And then as you're playing, you're getting more bag, more, more tokens in your bag, and you're like building a token bag. Uh, it was a lot harder than I expected. It was really engaging. So, boy, this has been, that's been a lot of my time in the last month or so. And I don't mind, like, that's time that was not very quote unquote productive otherwise, but, I'm enjoying these experiences a lot. And also a great many of these games are not solo only. They're just, they happen to have very good solitaire experiences. So I'm also looking forward to eventually getting to share these with other people someday. Uh, whenever we can, uh, sit down, uh, without it being too big a risk. But, uh, yeah, not to turn that into an episode of WTF at TCG, but I, I really Nemo's war has just been a, a revelation. Um, the way spirit Island was for me. Uh, it's super good. And the Kickstarter they just put up, they also, they have two pledge levels. The other one's just the ultimate edition, which is just all of Nemo's war, all the expansions and the base game all nicely fit into the base game. And it's, it's pleasant little insert that the latest edition has. It's really worth looking into if you're into that kind of thing, or even if you don't think you are, go give it a try anyway. Cause if you told me a year ago, I'd be into a game like Nemo's war. I'd call you, I'd call you a liar and I'd want to know what you're trying to sell me. And it turns out I was selling me good game experiences. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, Aaron, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's my bit. Um, any other off topic stuff on your end? Um, the only other thing I got, uh, uh, another message about was, uh, so we ended up going to a, Pickers sale, um, which is is like uh, an estate sale where this specific one guy had a like a eight car uh, pull barn that was full of boxes, and the sale basically was like, "Hey, come grab a box, pull it outside, open it up, go through it. If there's stuff in there you want, put it in a pile. If you don't want it, leave it out. Other people can look through the box." Um, and Alfie with her, her, uh, her Etsy store with, um, vintage clothes and like saw a bunch of clothes boxes that were marked like, you know, somebody's shirts, somebody's jeans, somebody's whoever, uh, whatever. So they're like, Hey, let's go take a look at this. Cause when it's something like that, it's like, Hey, here's this big old honking box, $5 for clothes. And she'll get 60, 70 shirts for 10 bucks which is a great deal. So in, in the course of pulling out a bunch of these boxes found like a vein of toys that was in there. (laughs) And it was, I saw somebody walk out with a carded fusors, beast wars fusors thing. I didn't see what it was. I just saw the like fusors transmetal transmetal two looking package. And then was like, Oh no. This is on now. Um, didn't see any more of that. I saw... Um, I did see, like, some of that era of, like, Transmetal 2 toys, but they were all in, like... It was, like, the torso of something. No legs, an arm, and the head on it. And then, like, two Dinobot 2 tails that were both broken. <laughs> Stuff like that in there. Um, but she ended up finding 
just a like a five gallon bucket that was full of micro machines and so it was going through them and ended up um getting them and finding if she decides to like go through that at some point in time there were very specifically there was like a couple of the play sets in there that if it has the parts which very well might because it was literally a five gallon bucket that was like two-thirds full um then that might be worth some money and it cost us two dollars for that bucket so I was going to yeah. say, like, if you can just get the bucket, take it home for later, it's like, yeah, processing. Right. It's for processing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just made sure it wasn't full of, like, raccoon poop in the bottom of it, because some of the boxes were coming out. It just had raccoon poop on top of it. Um, but, like, in the first handful dig, she pulled out two SR-71s, which are now uh, <laughs> little tiny micro-machine SR-71s that are sitting on my desk. So, I was reminded of that, to, to mention that. So that little, was, little that friends. That was kind of it. Little kind of a get. Little friends to herald the eventual arrival of Ultimate Expanse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's yeah, cool. That's, I like I like the phrase of vein of toys. That's just a good visual. Yeah. Oh, and it and it was it was like this this person these people were mostly like there was a lot of Barbie stuff. There was a lot of general doll stuff. There was a lot of of. Um, um, like track car, like slot car stuff that I I pulled out a couple of boxes that were just like slot car track that was all in rusted out, busted condition because it was underneath a box of uh, like bricks or something. But when I saw like oh boys toy stuff, let's get some of these boxes out, especially after seeing that carded like Transmetal or Fusor thing go through. I was just like, oh. I was going to ask you if you... And, and, then, and then I was like, I'm not sure how well this will play, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I was going to ask you if you found like a... just a caking of like Torca dust anywhere. Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there were there was the one box that I was kind of going through that had a bunch of the like... I probably might have been able to put together a toy from like the Transmetal 2 era in it because it was a bunch of parts of stuff. It looked like these, like, whoever this was would go to yard sales, like, at, the at like, three on a Sunday and say, yo, I'll give you $20 for everything you have left out. Hmm. And some, some of the, like, sorting of things was that way as well. I was going to say, that's how you end so, up with a... With a- two-thirds of five-gallon bucket full of micro-machines yep. is that kind of practice. Yep. Yep. Where it was somebody else that might have had some idea of, like, yard sailing or something, so... Or of reselling. But... Yeah, it was... It was it was an interesting thing, and now I have more representations of one of the best aircraft. Excellent. Well... I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, I also want to give uh, shouts out, which I should I should put in the front. I got to write a note to myself. I'm going to forget it. Uh, I got a shout out at the front too. But uh, TJ could not be with us on this recording. He is just having what we would call a series of days with a capital on each of those, making each of those words a proper noun, uh, and uh, and needed needed the rest. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. We're going to uh, close up. Thank you all for listening. I just heard weird...
thumpity noises outside, so I got to see if that's a storm. Uh, Aaron, thank you for joining me, and uh, and I'm glad that you made it back in one piece from your fun trip. Yeah. And uh, we will talk to you all later. Stay tuned. As always, even if it takes a bit now and then, we're never going to go away. We're not going to go away. We podcast forever. <laughs> What's funny is I just kept laughing for like two. This is an edit. I just kept laughing for like two hours. Aaron left. I didn't notice. I just kept going. Uh, I, I trimmed that part out for all of you listeners. Uh, also because the file was getting oversized. But have a good day. <laughs>